Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Universe Within Podcast. I hope this finds you all well in this new year of 2023. Um, to start, uh, I want to introduce a new sponsor. Um, it's my friends over at a company called Real Mushrooms. And uh, sponsorship, it really helps me to bring the show out to the audience and to the, to the listeners, you all. Um, when I decided to take on sponsors, I really wanted to make sure that they were in alignment with uh, kind of the thread and the values of this podcast. Um, one of the big things that this podcast focuses on is plant medicine and natural medicine. And really throughout history, throughout antiquity, uh, mushrooms have been one of the, the main plant or fungi, fungal uh, medicines uh, really used in, in uh, holistic health and natural health. Um, they've been considered not only really medicines, but teachers as well. And on the medicinal front, um, they, they have a whole list of uh, therapeutic uses for, for human health and longevity. Um, in, in many ancient cultures, there's a long history of working with uh, medicinal mushrooms. Um, and really, there's now a, a really big growing body of scientific evidence that, that really supports uh, the claims of many different therapeutic and health benefits of mushrooms. Um, mushrooms are something I've worked a lot with uh, in the past with medicinal mushrooms, things like reishi, chaga, turkey tail, lion's mane, uh, cordyceps. Uh, and I'm a really big fan. I'm a really big proponent of them. Um, and so I was really excited when uh, the guys at Real Mushrooms agreed to come on board. Uh, Jeff, who I interviewed in episode 81, um, works with them and also his son, Sky, who I hope to interview in the near future. Um, they're a really good company, uh, really good guys. And um, you know, for better or for worse, the, the supplement industry is really loosely regulated, uh, so you often uh, don't really know what you're getting. Um, if you're lucky, you're getting a good product. If you're not so lucky, you may be getting very little of the purported product. In some cases, maybe uh, nothing at all. Um, this is definitely the case with mushrooms. Um, and uh, unlike some of the other big mushroom companies, uh, Real Mushrooms uses uh, pure mushrooms, which I think is really important. Some of the other big companies actually use uh, mycelium that's uh, grown on grain, and then those two things are blended together, and that ends up in the final product. So with Real Mushrooms, you're getting 100% pure mushrooms. Um, so again, I was really happy they came on board, uh, really happy to promote their product. They're, they're two really good guys, really good company. Uh, so if you're interested in medicinal mushrooms, uh, check out their website at realmushrooms.com. And also listeners to this receive 25% off their first order. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. On this episode, I sat down with two sisters who were introduced to me. Uh, their names are Megan and Nicole, and it was a really fascinating conversation. They are living in Colorado, and they're doing a lot of work with uh, especially psilocybin, uh, astrology, psychology, and we got into some really fascinating topics. Um, we talked a lot about psilocybin, about the legalization of a lot of these uh 
plants or fungi in, in Colorado and, and the U.S. and kind of the direction some of these things are heading. And we also talk about some, uh, I think, really fascinating things about uh, archetypal energies, about masculine and feminine, um, what those mean, what they represent, how those can be embodied in different people. And um, it was a really fascinating conversation. It went almost three hours, and I, I very much enjoyed it. Um, I, I think they're doing really good work, and uh, they express themselves very well, and it was a really lovely conversation. So I hope you all enjoy it. As always, if you are able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Patreon is a really good option. It's a subscription service. For as, long, for as little as a dollar a month, you can sign up. Uh, there's different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. To all the people who have done that, to all the patrons, as always, thank you very much for your support. And if you are able to do that, that's a really big help. It's really what allows me to keep the show going. Um, so if you're able to do that, that's a big help, and thank you in advance. Uh, if you're not able to and you're listening to this uh, or, or watching this, um, um, with the video version, whether it's on YouTube or Odyssey, Rumble, hitting the subscribe button, um, turning on the notification bell with YouTube, liking the video, leaving any questions or comments in the comment section, those things all really help with the algorithms. Uh, and if you're listening to this with the audio version on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever platform, um, following the show, subscribing, and also if you're able to, going on Apple Podcasts, leaving a starred rating and a short review, that's also a really big help. So I think that's it for the intro, and without further ado, here is my conversation with Megan and Nicole. Running out from the maze, running out from the maze, running out of the maze today. Running out from the maze, running out from the maze, running out from the maze today. Running out from the maze. Running out from the maze Running out of the maze Today And yeah, I think we're live. Um, so yeah, in, in the background there it says uh, Zenchronicity, and we were talking a little bit before and uh, um, uh, I guess one of your colleagues reached out to me and uh, I started doing a little research, and uh, it looks like uh, you ladies are up to really interesting work. So I thought it'd be uh, nice to have you on. Um, maybe to start, you could say a little bit about yourselves, your background, and, and what got you into this work, and, and a little bit about your stories. It's always nice to, to kind of uh, meet the guests and, and learn a little bit about them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jason, for having us on. We're really excited to be here this morning with you. Um, and to share share our stories, and um, I'll, I'll go first. I'm Nicole. I'm the oldest. Um, we, Megan and I, have been on our healing journey for uh, probably about 12, 13 years now. Not necessarily in plant medicine, but um, just in the journey of healing family lines and family trauma. Um, we didn't know that's what it was when we embarked on this journey, but we definitely knew that there was healing that needed to be done. And, um, for me, I would say like it started way back in Al-Anon rooms. It was, my father is an alcoholic and we come from generational alcoholic homes. And, um, you know, there was definitely some stuff that had come up that landed 
us in Al-Anon and Megan, I'm sure will share her story about how she ended in Al-Anon, but uh, she was the one that got me. Megan's been the catalyst for a lot of um, the healing. She's definitely the the rage of fire in the family. Um, but, you know, Al-Anon started all of it and then it just kind of snowballed in that regard of what was next. I realized that I was using cannabis for um, I was using it recreationally, but I was using it abusively. And, but I didn't realize that. I just thought it was, you know, plant medicine at the time. It was just smoking weed. I was just, you know, living life, cruising. And so <clears throat> Elanon really just like made me put things in perspective. And then I felt like I outgrew it. I felt like there was this like moment of plateauing where I was in a room full of victims and no one was taking accountability for themselves. And that might not be the case for every Al-Anon room, but the Al-Anon rooms I was in, that's what I felt. So I actually left Al-Anon and um, turned kind of to Western medicine in regards to therapy, um, traditional therapy. And I sat on, I don't know how many therapist couches where they just told me I needed to forgive my father and move on and didn't really give me any tools, kind of just told me to just keep living life, definitely offered me pharmaceuticals. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I can, I just never, it never aligned with me. And then, um, about two years ago, I, um, microdosing started popping up. Mushrooms started popping up. There was this like weird alignment in the universe of like, Hey, look at this. And, um, we did. And I would have to say that I did so much growth in such a short period of time that I never would have found in Western medicine. And I couldn't find in Western medicine because I had this pivotal moment of realizing that like, the more I saw outside of myself, the more I lost myself. And when I learned to turn inward and I learned that everything was inside me was a pivotal moment in my own healing journey. Um, so I'm Megan. Thank you for having us, Jason. We're so excited to be here. But uh, so I would actually, mine started when I was 21, uh, when I, well, and actually probably even before that is when yoga. Yoga was the beginning of all of this. And I actually, when I was in high school, we were both lacrosse players and my first varsity gain, I stepped in a pothole and, um, you know, third degree sprained my ankle. And they wanted to do surgery to, you know, reattach all the tendons and everything. And actually our mother being more awake than she realized at the time was like yoga. So we started into hot yoga. And then uh, about five years later, I, when I was 21, I became a teacher and, um, you know, Bikram gets a bad name, but he did break all of my fundamental thoughts about how humans needed to like how much sleep we needed, how much we needed to eat, how far you could push your body and realizing that the mind stops. It's not actually the body. It's the mind that makes the decisions. And, uh, you know, that was wild. And then when I became a teacher, I was such a perfectionist. That I couldn't teach. I just would self-destruct. And I was living in San Francisco and my studio owner goes, you know, is your dad an alcoholic or your mom? I'm going to guess your dad. And I was like, how did you know that? So that's how we ended up in Al-Anon was actually, you know, I took a step of realizing that my normal wasn't normal, that that's not how people function. And unfortunately, people don't know what they don't know. You're raised in a certain environment and that's your normal. And you think that everybody's like that. And I didn't know that my coping mechanisms and my mannerisms were, you know, there was a different way to be. 
And so as I started teaching and started growing, you know, again, like Nicole said, we, the whole family ended up in Al-Anon. Dad ended up sober within a year of us being in Al-Anon because we made space for him. Uh, you know, it, it was wild to just accept him for who he is and not the dad that, you know, I expected him to be actually made space for him to find his own sobriety and his own self-love because it all comes back to, you know, how much you love yourself. And this journey began and kind of took a lot of turns and twists along the way. Uh, I was in private aviation for seven years almost, and then COVID hit. And it was that um, time out that we all had to take. And I had never been fulfilled in it. And I had been searching for what my sole purpose was. I knew I was a healer. I knew that I had, you know, growing up, I always wanted to be a vet. I was always, you know, wanting to help things, animals, people. And then all of a sudden, my own healing journey took a complete like 180 of the way that I thought things should be. I was one of those that was very against psychedelics, very against plant medicine. I was extremely straight edge, per se. Um, and all of a sudden, I was out in Laguna with one of my girlfriends a couple years ago. And uh, actually, rape, or rape as Americans pronounce it, uh, was my initiation. And I got initiated literally by fire. Uh, I, <laughs> The shaman, you know, I, I've been a yoga teacher at that point for nine years or eight, eight years. And, uh, I was like, Oh, I know the chakras. I know all of this stuff. Like it's fine. And I don't know what possessed me, but man, cause I, I'm not somebody that really lived outside of the box again, type a very like perfectionist still, even, you know, eight years after becoming a yoga teacher and trying to come out, get over it, that, um, thought process. And anyway, blew the rape up my left nostril. Cause you do the left first and, I saw white light and it stuck in my heart chakra. It bounced. I couldn't breathe. I was like saying I was going to die, which was hilarious. Like my friend Benet was laughing at me. She's like, you're not going to die. Just breathe. And I'm like looking at the shaman. I'm like, no, I'm going to die. Um, Cause the block was so big in my energetic field and my heart chakra. And uh, it was funny because it brought me back to a heartbreak that I had when I was 24 and I was on my knees, like thinking I was going to die. Cause I was having a broken heart. And I didn't realize at the time, I recognized it as an anxiety attack. But then at that moment, I recognized it as actually heartbreak. And that break was still in my heart. And I, like, I couldn't breathe the same way that I couldn't breathe when I was 24, when I had had that, essentially began my dark night of the soul. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, and then it finally released and went down into my lower chakras. And I just kind of woke up. It was just, then I, uh, shortly after that started puking. So that was lovely. Um, but it, you know, then they had to do the right nostril. And I remember like feeling like I was almost in a different dimension. I could feel music in my cells. I was just, it totally took me out of me. And, you know, again, it was one of those moments where I was like this, there's something to this plant medicine it was essentially my call and uh, answered the call. We I went face first into all of this. It was such a like aha moment for me of everything that I had been taught is BS. Like all of it's a lie. Didn't care that it was illegal here in Colorado. Didn't care of anything. Started microdosing, started trying to find like where to get mushrooms, realizing that this was, there was something to it. Um, you know, went down to ayahuasca. I'm one of those people that once I find something, it's like 
like, how do I, how do I know everything that I need to know about this? And then how do I bring it to other people when something really helps me? And so that was kind of a, um, again, it, it took, it took probably five minutes to change my life forever. And that's all it takes sometimes is those moments where you realize like everything, everything in Western medicine is BS. Um, I was a holistic nutritionist already at that point, but then I got into Chinese new medicine or Chinese traditional Chinese medicine and then German new medicine and understanding what energy was and the frequencies of energy and that we just are energy and um, that plant medicine helps shift those frequencies and helps you see beyond your, your field, your energy um, into the essentially what we call the unknown. So. Yeah. And like when we started this journey, we had no idea that we would have written a program based on our own healing, based on all of the pebbles that were left for us from Western to Eastern philosophy that Megan and I have both studied over the years that we were always so drawn to, but we didn't know why, like, why are, why were we so, you know, now we know why, but, you know, reading the Tao and reading all of these, you know, books that not, not like out of nowhere, we were seeking out, um, you know, we weren't, we were reading Harry Potter, but it was more like, oh, you know, healing through the Tao or, you know, Megan said Chinese medicine always being drawn to like meridians and acupuncture and like chiropractic, you know, just things that weren't in the norm and people saying like, that's not going to work for you. And here we are now, like we've, we've put together this program and it's 12 weeks and it's like, holy cow, it's like working. And people are like, wow, it's working. (laughs) I have, you know, I have the power back when we're helping people see that they, they have the power in them, but they've been told that it's not, that's not true. So how would you, how would you all describe the the work that you're doing now? Um, very unpopular in the media. <laughs> we are, a lot of people call us old fashioned. A lot of people call us like, this is completely BS. Uh, we work a lot in the masculine and feminine energies, you know, and that goes back thousands of years Eastern philosophy, you know, as yoga teachers, you know about, um, you know, the left side is feminine, the right side is masculine. And I was seeing trauma in bodies long before I really understood what it was. Uh, and it's, it's just wild how, you know, what we're doing is thousands of years old. It's not even ours. I, we just put like pieces together and I tell people that all the time. It's like, if you go back into, if traditional psychology would have followed Carl Jung instead of Sigmund Freud, because Carl Jung believed in these Eastern philosophies of masculine and feminine, of, you know, a mass consciousness of the soul, of astrology, of all of these ancient things that are called essentially occultist in, you know, the Western world now and bringing those things back to life, breathing air into them. I mean, we were on a podcast the other day when we were talking about the masculine and like having ceremony around manhood and having, you know, the king and the magician and the lover and all of these energies that exist in the masculine, um, you know, bringing those forth and celebrating them. The whole idea around toxic masculinity and all of these things is, is, is really not good for um, the masculine soul or you know, the, we all have masculine energy. So calling it toxic is just, you know, what does that do to the psyche? And then you reject it. So it's, 
it's really just breathing back to life, like also courtships and things like that, not hookup culture. I mean, the damage that hookup culture has done to culture and societies is insane. I mean, there was a study by the American Psychology Association of just like, you know, within three months of hookup culture, which, you know, people don't have a foundation in hookup culture. It's the the feminine in the hookup, right, feels used and abused. And the male is like, well, that's, that's what we agreed to with sex, you know, and it's understanding that these things, and I've, I've, I've watched it my entire twenties with friends, even with myself and being like, well, what's going on? Like, why aren't relationships working out? It's like, well, of course, if you build a house and there's no foundation, it's going to fall over. The same thing happens energetically, the same thing happens. So it's, you know, coming back to these values of, you know, honoring the yin energy, which is self-love and honoring the yang energy that all of us have and building this energy field in this auric field that, that essentially is complete in self. And then you come forth into a relationship already complete. So you don't have these addictive codependent, you know, energy fields that are causing trauma in our society. Uh, Cause it, I mean, there's so much codependency with food and everything that essentially people are addicted to everything, social media, TV, and they don't understand how the brain works. So it's kind of, I, we call our school like the school of hard knocks of everything that you weren't taught that you should have been growing up. Uh, and pe- I mean, people just have no idea. We were introduced to the masculine and feminine in our early twenties. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. But I didn't take it seriously, but I knew what it was. I mean, people just have no concept of any of it. And when you start talking about it, people are fascinated, but it's also, it gives space for people to be themselves and to hold space uh, and, and, and just self-love. I think that's what it comes back to in our program is know thyself and honor thyself. Because when you're loving and honoring yourself, you're able to make that space for other people. Well, and like, even before we dive into the masculine feminine, we teach people how their thought thought patterning works. Most people think that they can't control their thoughts. Um, You know, we were on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and this guy was asking us, well, do you think people can control their thoughts? And I was like, absolutely. You have full power of yourself. And he, he disagreed, but you know, we are all entitled to our opinion, but we, you break it down and you have full control of your thoughts, but social media, modern day, like world tells you that you don't. And, and that's very, you know, um, it's a controlling agenda that we can go on a tangent about, but, um, we start with teaching people that your thoughts are a result of your feelings. Your feelings are a result of your actions and your actions are the overall result of everything. And if you can learn to embody and you can understand that the thought of thought you have is the fastest form of energy that we know you have so much power that you can now take back. And we jump into that like first week because most of the people that come to us, they're suffering from anxiety. They're suffering from depression. They're suffering from all of these like ailments that have been labeled on them and been slapped on them by Western medicine. But they actually don't understand the base root that they have control over all of those. And if we reframe them and we look at them in a ideally flipped positive that they almost dissipate the the anxiety, the depression, the, um, 
negative thought patterning, it goes away because they realize that it's all within them. And then we start building. Then it's, you know, understanding more of the self. We dive into masculine and feminine. I mean, we, we jump into a full revamp within a 12 week program while using plant medicine, because we're working directly in the neuroplasticity and, um, we're rewiring that, you know, we're scrambling the DMN. We're rewiring self ideally is what is happening during these 12 weeks with an, a, a good amount of tools for their tool belt. Yeah, there's a lot there we could go into. Um, you, you mentioned like these ideas of the Tao or the, the Tao Te Ching and, and these ideas of um, masculine and feminine. It's very interesting. Uh, I was actually speaking to a friend the other day and uh, she'd recently spent time with this group of people called the, the Kogi and the Arawaku who live in the, the Sierra Nevada of Colombia. Um, they often consider themselves the, the big brothers of the world. Um, and they, they kind of look down at everyone else as, as if they're the little brothers. And they, they kind of say that their, their practices are actually harmonizing the earth. Very fascinating people. Uh, but she was saying uh, either she or, or someone else asked them a question and she was kind of puzzled by their response. Um, and someone was asking them about climate change and why there was climate change. And their answer was because people have forgotten their sexuality, <laughs> oh. which is quite an interesting answer, which I think can be taken in directions. But but it does seem like we're, we're living in a time. And again, that, that's a very it's a very big subject. But uh, you, you mentioned these ideas of masculine and feminine energy, and I think that's very fascinating. And as you said, these are traditional concepts that all over the world were just considered real and truth and, and, and uh, very symbolic, very real. But it does seem like in the, the cultures that we're coming from, we've kind of, I don't know if forgotten is the right word, or, or it's been uh, somehow uh, maybe weeded out, but it seems like we're, we're very much moving away from these concepts and they are very powerful. And there's... There's a lot of uh, archetypal wisdom and, and, and meaning behind that. Do you, do you have a sense of why those, those energies and that duality is so important? Because it, it does seem like in this time, it, it's something that the people are really missing. Um, you even mentioned this idea of like toxic masculinity and, um, you know, it, it's, it, I think it's very much like you said, there's, there's a, there's a tremendous power in the masculine and, and actually if that's missing, uh, men and women end up in, in disharmony. And so I know that's kind of a big question, but can you talk more about why you find that that duality so important? Because again, it does seem like something that, that a lot of people have moved away from. And, and, and my sense is that there's, there's a direct correlation as to why people are suffering from things like anxiety and depression, while at the same time moving away from some of these archetypal or traditional values. Yeah. And, you know, speaking on climate change, um, <laughs> I uh, was recently reading a book and it, it's called um, Plant Spirit Healing. And it talks about our you know connection with, <clears throat> excuse me, with mother and Gaia, you know, in the first chapter, this, this woman, she's been practicing and communicating with plants since she was five years old. And she talks about how mother earth is the perfect balance between masculine and feminine and that she always comes back to homeostasis that humans will never put her in homeostasis because she is she is a pure embodiment of both energies because 
if you look at the elements in Chinese medicine or in Chinese culture or any other, um, there's five elements, right? And um, we look at fire and we look at um, wood as a masculine energy. So, you know, and even air can be, it's androgynous ideally is what she spoke of, but it destroys. Those are like, they're all in a sense of destroying, but when there's destruction, mother is able to come back to self. She balances herself no matter how much is destroyed. And so I think, it, you know, just touching on climate control before we touch into these other things is that we forget as humans, we're very small blip of time on this earth. This earth has, mother guy has been here for a way long time and will outlive all of us. Um, you know, we've all, if we believe in past lives, I believe in past lives, Meg believes in past lives. Um, you know, we've done a lot of time on this earth and on her, and she will always rebalance herself. And if we look at their, like ourselves and we're balancing the masculine and feminine, like if we're always returning to homeostasis, we're actually always in balance, but it's recognizing what's happening. Are we two in our masculine? Are we two in our feminine and creating that perfect ebb and flow that actually is happening around us all the time? Yeah, it's uh, but the going into the masculine and feminine. I actually really love that. Um, that actually really does sum it up because we are nothing if we don't have polarization in energy. Uh, you know, if you have masculine and masculine energy, it's friendship. Feminine, feminine energy, we have friendship. You know, and this is what people don't understand is there was this huge shift when women went to work. Right, we broke the glass ceiling. But essentially, we broke relationships in doing that because when you're at work, you're in masculine produce production energy, right? When you also see a shift in relationships when women become mothers because nurturing is masculine and people don't realize these energy fields that exist around everything that you do. People talk a lot about manifesting. Well, if your masculine and feminine isn't balanced, meaning that if you're not willing to go out and build the structures that are masculine for your, you know, manifestation or energy that's feminine to come in and actually, you know, become um, present in the 3D, you're not going to have manifestations happen. You can't just sit on your couch and be like, well, I want to manifest a million dollars. Well, what are you doing energetically to form that in real time? Uh, and it's, it's wild to me that it's true. We've forgotten our sexuality in a way. It's like women have become men, men have become women. We're seeing this even in bodies. Um, you know, it's wild to me to look at photos of men in like the seventies and sixties and they're, they, they looked so different physically than they do now. And as a holistic nutritionist, you know, there's so much estrogen in our food chain that it's, I think that's also caused a lot of the feminization of men. Uh, but it, it, it's, it's crazy how much bodies have changed and it's actually an adaptation to the energy fields that are being expressed outwardly. And, you know, again, 75% divorce rate, there's all of these things happening. There's, there's so much chaos in the media and in human beings, you know, I'll just flat say it. It's like the whole wanting to mutilate your body because you have a mental health problem is like, I was anorexic as a teenager would be the same thing as my parents validating that I thought I was fat when I was anorexic and going and getting liposuction. That is a mental health problem. And people would have turned them in for child abuse and rightfully so. 
And now, you know, there's this disruption in energy, this disruption in sexuality, and people are running to pharmaceuticals or running to surgery to fix it when they're not actually looking at the problem. And, you know, that's why I, you know, well, we are, <laughs> have a vendetta against the entire system because we're here to protect children. We're here to teach them. We're here to be their guides on, you know, how to live, not to tell them that, you know, oh, you're, you're having a, you know, a, a, a mental health crisis essentially because of social media and all of the things that are going on. And, uh, you know, that all goes back to masculine and feminine. And when I studied sociology in college, it was wild to me that even in sociology, they knew if you take fathers out of the home, children and women look for the masculine outside of the home and children often find gangs. They find heavy masculine energy because it's balance. Homeostasis is polarity. You're looking for your opposite. That's why opposites attract. You don't see two you know, A-type personalities or two alpha males in a relationship that makes no sense. You actually really don't even see it in friendship. You don't see it in wolf packs. You don't see it in nature either, right? Balance. There's there's a leader and there's a follower. It, it's And it's not even that the feminine is a follower, right? They're, we call them guides, right? Essentially, like they are the ocean, water, and the masculine is the wood ship that sails, but you're still guiding that ship. It's a team and one cannot really exist without the other. And, you know, it, watching all of this happening and kind of understanding as we study more and more of what we've been taught, it's like also the brain needs anxiety. If you don't have anxiety in the brain, then the dendrites can't communicate. You know, it, it, it's we've been taught all of these things and taught wrong um, because of pharmaceuticals and money. If you trace anything back to money, you're finding the origin source of take fathers out of the home. Guess what? You have complete control. There's no one to protect the families. There's nobody leading and guiding children, protecting, you know, the feminine because kids are pretty much in their yin energy until they're about 10. And then the masculine starts to take root. It develops later. Um, than the feminine. And it's just really disheartening. Um, and I would, that's what we're trying to bring back. And that's why people call us old fashioned in these things, because, you know, I believe in courtships, I believe in embodying both energies, you know, like yin energy is self love, yang energy is actually what makes you fall in love with other people. Um, and if you don't, I mean, how many people even have well-developed self-love? The feminine is considered weakness and then masculine is considered toxic. And it's like this entire, I, I mean, I, I've been it's in chaos mess. most of my life with all of this, uh, you know, and I've been in mushroom ceremonies and, um, you know, with, with NFL football players that are so confused over their masculine energy and they're like, well, the feminine's so powerful and da 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 da. I'm like, no, no, no. Then, like, sorry, what? It's like you're afraid of your own masculine and you're afraid to step into it because you want people to like you. That's people pleasing. That's a feminine wound. What are you doing? Like, when a man and you're masculine and this, it doesn't matter about genitalia, if you are not standing in your truth, masculine or feminine or otherwise, you are people pleasing and you are in a trauma response. Like th this whole tippy toe around everything and not standing in your truth is also where society is going wrong. 
everybody's in a people pleasing trauma response. And I used to be too, but I'm just like downright sick of it. And I will not let uh, society fall without trying to do something about it. And so many people believe these things when you actually talk to them, but they have a visceral reaction to when you say masculine and feminine, because they don't even know what it means, right? Like the feminine, we have feminine bodies, but we have masculine souls. So humans are naturally androgynous and masculine is masculine body, feminine soul. And you see this when people have extreme addiction, right? When, when women drink, they become, their masculine comes out. They usually get angry. They're more likely to hit, right? And when men drink, their feminine soul comes forward. So you see them get emotional and cry. And I'm like, these, these things exist, whether you like them or not, it's just, how are you going to interact with them? And you, it's the masculine heals the feminine, the feminine heals the masculine, just like the lower chakras are masculine, but the body is feminine, upper chakras, feminine, but the, to think is masculine. There's natural balance in everything. When you start to look and when you start to explain that to anybody, they're like, well, why wasn't I taught this? I'm like, exactly. You weren't taught this because if you're taught this, then you can, you are in control of your own life. If essentially you're able to take on radical accountability and you're no longer a victim and you know certain powers that be don't want you to know these things because when you're whole and you understand wholeness and embodiment you you step forward into life in a totally different frequency you're able to you know when you get a call to your higher calling you're able to step in you're able to go into the unknown and trust your soul trust your higher self trust the mass consciousness uh and it's not easy i mean i st i still struggle daily of just like what are we doing like technically this is illegal still in like 48 <laughs> states and this is nuts you but know? we're doing it you know, who do I think I am to teach all of this? You know, you get those voices in your head of like, it, 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 but, but it's believing that you came here for a reason, understanding that this came to you for a certain reason and that there is no such thing as coincidence and being able to step into my feminine to receive and step into my masculine to give when I need to, and that they balance each other. And it's this beautiful dance when you start to embody that that changes the entire outcome of everything that happens in your life because you ground into soul, spirit, higher self. But that all comes from understanding how and why the universe does what it does. And I believe that that is rooted in masculine and feminine energy. Uh, and that's why we're trying to bring it back um, to the best of our ability and really, really, really stepping in with the masculine because it's insane how much it has been demonized and we need strong men. No society survives without strong men. You were born a man for a reason. You have powerful, beautiful energy and like true feminine needs you because my masculine will never be greater than yours. Um, you know, I'm strong. We both are, but I know, I don't know any woman that doesn't crave that leadership and that masculine that steps in is like, I got you. That's why women aren't having children. We think we're in a population crisis. It's actually quite the opposite. People are not reproducing like they used to. And actually the pregnancy rate is dropping, not because of infertility. It's because a woman's body is in so much anxiety and nature does not give babies to anxious women the IVF and everything is that our nervous systems are so jacked because there's not grounded masculine energy 
holding that space and grounding our nervous systems that she's wondering, you know, I, I, we work with so many women. I can't get pregnant. I can't get pregnant as a holistic nutritionist. And it's like, yeah, you're in your masculine, (laughs) obviously (laughs) it's not going to work. Yeah. Like you need to, you need to understand how to ask the masculine to step in and how to, you know, communicate that because the feminine is actually in charge of communication. Um, but most people have no idea even how to communicate wants, needs and desires, or even how to like step out of ego. So it gets pretty, gets pretty great. I love it. And it makes it, I love the just like wide eyed, like, what are they talking about? And then about, about 30 days in, they're like, Okay, I've softwired my brain at this point. Like, okay, okay, I'm kind of getting it. I'm like, great. And plant medicine really helps because also mushrooms are androgynous. So it really helps those two energies. It's a perfect complement. We have learned um, of helping people really see what they're capable of. There's um, one of the, the teachers who I, I have a lot of respect for, he, he comes from a, a group of people called the Tubu and the Colombian Amazon. And um, they, they have these very long mythologies and stories um, without getting too much into it. But um, one of the things they say is that eons ago, humans were suffering and uh, there was these higher kind of star beings from this uh, serious star system and that they heeded the call of the suffering and they, they transcended the 12 dimensions of time and space on this primordial anaconda canoe. And in this canoe, they brought with them all of these plant medicines. And they say the reason they brought these plant medicines is so the people remember who they are and where they come from. And so much of what you were, what you were talking about, you know, it's very fascinating because I always find this, this kind of paradox in that, especially the, the time we're in, it seems like these these plant medicines are becoming more open or accepted. I mean, I guess this is kind of talking more from an American point of view, but in kind of progressive circles, progressive cities. Uh, and yet these plant medicines, um, like from where I am here, they come from very traditional cultures with very traditional values. Um, and so it seems like there's this dichotomy of... And, and I'm curious what you think of that, that it seems like there's some sort of symbiotic relationship happening that, that potentially as society is moving in a more extreme direction, forgetting who we are, where we come from, very much like you said, like being very confused, not, not only in our sexuality, but our actual identity. Like, what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Um, that at the same time with all of this confusion, there is a resurgence of plant medicine. Um, so do you think these things have some sort of symbiotic relationship that, that as humans are moving away from remembering who they are, as things like depression and suicide and anxiety, uh, all sorts of chronic disease, uh, you know, all of these things are, are really uh, augmenting, increasing. At the same time, there is this, this renaissance of plant medicine. And it's, it's not that plant medicines are being discovered. It's that they're coming back because they've always been there. They've, they're, they're literally an integral part of the creation myths of human beings. They're, they're inseparable to that. So again, I know that's kind of a long winded question, but, but do you see that, that there's some sort of symbiosis happening uh, that, during the time we're living in? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we could evolve and do what we are supposed to do in this time without them. Uh, they're essential. And I know that, you know, in the last two years, I've done more healing than I did in the, the 30 years before that. It's it's absolutely I understand why the government took these away when they did. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful that they're coming back, but it is, it's the one thing that will tip the scales because without them, it would take too long for our consciousness to remember, you know, we come here with amnesia is what I believe. And it's that remembrance again, the symbiotic or, you know, relationship that you're talking about. It's, it's links us back to our souls because the one thread that I find with anybody microdosing, macrodosing, ayahuasca, any of the plant medicines, right. Then the main thread that you see is this spiritual connection. There's and the fact that these beings are conscious uh, you know, realizing fungi have a consciousness, realizing plants have a consciousness. And I've never done any kind of mushroom, ayahuasca, anything without having, you know, whatever my intention was or whatever I communicated that I needed to these beings come into fruition. And uh, I, I don't believe that humans could do what we're trying to do with, with evolution, uh, without them. And I am eternally grateful. You know, I have a gratitude list that I write and the mushrooms and plant medicine are on them daily. And actually, anytime we step into changing our container or doing anything, I always make sure that I'm either microdosing that day or I'm asking for their assistance because I understand that they're a pivotal part of this. And I'm really just um, a way of communicating it into the 3D. You know, a lot of this has been of their, I, I know that sounds wild to people that really don't understand consciousness, but a lot of this has streamed their consciousness. You know, I'm just a, a portal for them to, to bring about what they need, what their sole intention is onto this plane. Uh, because I love that story that you were telling. I was getting all sorts of goosebumps because I, I, I do believe that they were given, they're divine. I mean, scientists or anything, they cannot figure out where fungi came from. <laughs> you know, it's, it's wild to me that something can be that profound. Uh, I'm in awe of them daily. And I, I, again, it's, it's, if people are really searching they are the answer um, to being able to find self, being able to to step into, you know, whatever whatever needs to be seen or heard. I mean, I've seen 17-year-old kids that are suicidal do a macrodose, connect into whatever they needed, and all of a sudden that that want to die goes away because they realize that we're not just you know, blood bags walking around on earth, but there's, there's so much, I know she hates when I say that, my sister shakes her head, she hates when I say that, but there's so much more to us and that purpose and that divine calling and just realizing that there's a power greater than yourself that exists in this universe is enough to make post, most people want to be here, stay here and kind of experience whatever their soul came here to be. So, you know, there's so much, um, this bond with these plant medicines goes so far beyond what I think we can even comprehend with the human mind. Uh, you just kind of have to feel into it, but yeah, I, I completely agree with 
yeah, that the relation, it's, it's a sacred, it's a sacred relationship. That's why you have shamans and stuff. And we're so big about ceremony and shamans and all of them. I mean, these, these plants should be honored and loved and, um, you know, hold it held in reverence because they're, they're extraordinary. I mean, truly extraordinary. Well, and like right now we're in a massive imbalance, like, you know, you can look at the world and see the imbalance. And if you don't see the imbalance, you should look, um, <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're seeing this, um, this extreme happening. And like, we talked earlier about like homeostasis, right? Like the plants are and very similar to like your story. We could even relate it to time now. Like they're, the plants are stepping in there's, I mean, it's, it's a renaissance of the third wave and they're back with vengeance and we're not stopping them. I don't think this time it's not going to happen. I think that now it's um, the consciousness and the human consciousness is ready. I don't think in the seventies they were necessarily ready. Um, I think people are now seeing what, um, what were, what they were lied about. Like what ideally we're told about these plants that were, not true and that it was control and that these can really help our society as a whole to come back to the balance into the homeostasis that we are meant to be in. We're not, humans are not made to be on SSRI blockers, antidepressants. We're not made to be on, you know, a pill to go to sleep. Like we shouldn't be drinking seven cups of coffee every day. We shouldn't be in this like high, like panic almost to just exist as humans. And, you know, plants are here to teach us a lot of things if we're willing to like, listen to them. Yeah. Maybe going back to, to the masculine thing, because I find that very fascinating. I mean, I mean, there's, there, there's some men speaking about that, but I don't actually mm -hmm. hear a lot of women speaking about that. And like a lot of things, there's actually an interesting power, I think, when women speak about that, because it, it's somehow, uh, it, how to describe it? It, it, it like takes away maybe some of the charge um, away from it. Um, I, I was reminded, I, I worked for many years at a, a big ayahuasca healing center in the, the Peruvian Amazon. And at a certain point, they started doing women's only retreats. And um, I kind of had conflicting emotions about that. Uh, on the one hand, I, I think it's, there's something kind of, in a way, like trendy about that. Um, it seems, you know, rather like politically correct. Um, but there also is a real power to that. Uh, you know, there, there is the reality that, that a lot of women, I mean, a lot of people, but, but certainly in, in that binary dynamic, a lot of women have had trauma from men. And uh, for some women, it, it, it feels like a, a, a safe space in a way to be in where they are surrounded by women and perhaps they can express themselves more. And, and there can be a focus on what it means to be a woman and the very specific healing that comes around that. Um, there was the idea to do a, a men's only retreat, and, and I was asked to, to be one of the people to lead that. At the time, I didn't feel any calling to do that. Um, I didn't know what that would entail. I didn't know what to talk about. I didn't know how to differentiate that. I didn't know why any man would want to come to a men's only retreat. Um, I think a big part for me, too, was for, for most of my life, I'd done martial arts. And for me, that was... 
that was kind of my men's circle. I mean, it is predominantly men. There's a real way of, I think, expressing oneself, of releasing physical energy, mental energy, emotional energy. Um, but what I really realized is, is there's a lot of men missing that, uh, missing that physicality, missing those, those bonds, those friendships. As you were saying, I think feeling very isolated, very, feeling very lonely, being raised in societies where they were, you know, unfortunately many boys are actually taught that they're bad just for being a boy, for expressing masculine traits. Um, um, you know, drawing a gun is considered violence now, and, and that needs to be taken out of, uh, you know, uh, what a young boy may want to do or playing with guns or playing war games, mm -hmm. these, these, these things. And, and again, it, it seems like something that, that we've really moved away from. I, I mean, I even remember in the jungle raising, uh, I adopted this cat or she adopted me. I don't know which one, but a couple of weeks later, I realized she was pregnant and, and she had five kittens and there was a very big difference between the male kittens and the female kittens, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I think anyone who has animals, like we realize these things and yet somehow for ourselves, we've, we've forgotten them. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I guess in, in terms of the question, what do you, what do you see in terms of the masculine uh, like, how would you define that? What qualities archetypally go with that? Um, and, and, and what do you think is missing for a lot of men? Because, you know, this is kind of an unpopular topic, but, but I, I think there, in a way, there is a real crisis amongst men. If you look at suicide rates, predominantly, vast majority are men. Um, if you look at people, uh, you know, entrances to universities now, it's predominantly women. Um, when you look at uh, prison rates, it's almost all men, you know, there's a lot of things that are disproportional that I, that I think we forget about. And it seems like there is kind of a fundamental crisis that's, that's at the root of that. As you were saying earlier, if you look at, uh, you know, most people in prison, they tend to come from households without a father. And, and I think these are things that, that maybe we acknowledge on the surface, but it seems like there's a deeper root behind them that we also don't want to address. Yeah, it's, um, the healing of the masculine is going to be massive. Um, but masculine energy gives, protects and cherishes, but it's also of the frequency of compete, control and conquer. And it's both energies, uh, you know, and I, when I was in a mushroom ceremony with again, you know, big, big, big NFL football players, I'm like, guys. You have a huge masculine energy. Like think about the aggression you have on the field. Yet that's, you have an outlet. How many men don't? Like, when are you going to step in for the rest of the population and start, you know, actually talking about these things, actually, you know, talking about what's not popular. I'm like, the, the, the world needs strong leaders, just like it needs strong women, but it needs both. It needs duality, strong women breed strong men, strong men protect the women. And so the children and everything are able to be raised in a safe, loving environment where the woman's nervous system isn't trying to take care of kids and work and clean and blah, 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 blah. like, can women do it all? Yeah. But my question is, why would you want to? That is actually insanity. And then you're taking men out of the household and wondering, 
you know, calling them toxic and saying, well, we can do everything and we can do it better. I'm sorry if anybody said that's toxicity. I've actually seen more toxic masculinity in women than I ever have in a man. And I've had women come at me when I say that, but I'm like, think about that. You're telling them that they're not worth anything. Do you know how dysfunctional that is and how abusive that is? And the other thing is, is that masculine, and, and this is funny, right? Men actually do a lot better in relationships than women do. You know, they need purpose and fulfillment in a way that women don't. You know, we're, we're, men are bred to, per, you know, not bred, but their, their energy field needs to protect something. It needs to have, you know, something that, um, is, is looking to it for, you know, for, for love and for, there's a need that masculine, there's so much more in the physical plane than women are, right? When you look at the yin yang, masculine is white. It's, it's more material. And then the feminine is black. It's dark. It's chaos, you know, and the world would be very boring without women. Um, but the thing is, is like, there's also that dark energy to the feminine that, that needs balance of the light and, you know, and vice versa. Again, one can't really be without the other, but as the masculine's been, you know, called toxic and been basically diminished, um, even testosterone levels are dying off, you know, by 2040, we're going to be at zero sperm count. That's energy. That is energetics that is interfering, you know, and I meet so many men and they're just like, oh, you know, what's happening? I'm like, you guys are afraid of yourselves. You're, you know, I, 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 um, we're both single and it's crazy because I'm around men and they're like, oh, well, uh, did you want to do something? I'm like, what is happening? Like, what is not, it's always the maybe. Where is the grounded energy of like, I know what I want and I want you. How do we make that happen? Hi, like, where's the invite of the masculine? Because masculine functions in I want, so they invite the feminine, and the feminine decides whether to receive that and that to receive that invitation or not. But men's energetic fields are usually so chaotic and so out of balance because they're afraid of themselves. You know, if a man opens a door, it's toxic masculinity. It, that's not toxic. Yeah, I can open my own door, but like, that's just a nice gesture. We, we've completely lost this, like, and I think the whole feminist movement is completely toxic. You know, I can do it. I can do it better. Blah, blah, blah. The future is female. I'm like, no, 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 no. Okay. The future is androgynous. And it's realizing that if you're calling the masculine toxic, you're calling half of your energy field toxic. And yet these women are out producing, trying to become CFOs, CEOs, at the cost of their children, you know, you're, you're having children and you're having somebody else raise them. That's toxic. Why even have a child? Your child feels abandoned. It's entire energy field is jacked up the rest of its life. And it's searching externally for something to love it because you haven't grounded it here in this plane. And, you know, there's something sacred about the bond of a mother and child and showing up and being there. And I'm not saying that women can't have careers and be mothers, but I'm asking you what's more important, you know, and, and, and looking at the mental health crisis that's going on in this country and, you know, almost all psychopaths or serial killers, which is one of my, like, when I studied psychology, I was very fascinated with how dark that mind can go. They had jacked up mothers. The father energy is not nearly as important to the emotional field of a child 
than a mother's is. It's a sacred bond. And when that's broken, you have huge crisis on your hands. And again, that feminine energy, that yin, when it's not allowed to be in the home because the masculine isn't there supporting it, and it's not this polarity and this, you know, full energy field that exists in children, and children are being shown what that energy feels like, you you, you have a society like we do today in America. It's wild to me. I mean, you go to any tribe or anything in um, Africa or anything, they're not confused about gender roles. It's just like you said, animals aren't confused. But there's an aggression and there's a... Um, you know, a need to hunt or whatever that men have that needs to be honored. And, you know, it's really funny because we work with couples and I, you know, of course I work in sexual energy and <laughs> women undoubtedly are always, I'm like, so you don't have, wh what do you want to bed? Do you want to take control or do you want to surrender? Well, they're like, I want to surrender. And almost always when, when it's a masculine core, he wants to take control and I was talking about this in one of the mushroom ceremonies of like, you know, sex is a really great place to be able to have boundaries, have communication, but to be able to have these aggressive energy and this surrender energy and the masculine and feminine can really come together. Again, it's sexuality. It's how it's, um, you know, brought forth. But so many men, their entire energy field is like, well, do you like that? Do you not like that? You know, like, oh, <laughs> uh, and we have a a mentor that, you know, she teaches again, Taoist, um, philosophies, of you know, like of how those sexual energies go together. I mean, even just blindfolding a partner that has a feminine core causes her to surrender because she's losing her sense of control with sight and having the masculine lead her and guide her. These things are huge shifts in relationships of just that trust, that faith, like honoring, you know, your inner self, um, because pe people don't even know what they want anymore. They have no idea. But part of that is just that uncertainty in the masculine. I mean, I know about this hugely and I still get confused when I go out and I'm just like, what is happening? Like, I feel like I need to take charge. My masculine starts to come forward of like, well, if you're not going to do it. I'll do it. Like, whoa, whoa, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. But that's what women do. It's like, oh, well, if you're not going to ask me out, I'll ask you out. But whoever speaks first is masculine. You're already setting up the dynamic in the relationship, you know, bumble it's women reach out. That's masculine energy. You know, the need to pursue the need to, um, hunt, find, seek masculine be like, it, it's, it's, it actually simply goes down to this. You want to understand masculine and feminine energy. Feminine is the egg. It sits there and waits. The sperm seeks the sperm is what it wants to seek out its mate. And it should be the one that's pursuing and doing all of that. Um, but we've taken, and we've called that toxic. So it's, it's this fundamental need to go back to realizing that we're both realizing that we're androgynous, stepping forward in our core energy, because core energy is what you want to be in a relationship. Um, and that has nothing to do with genitalia. It's like, I meet plenty of women that have masculine cores. Um, actually there's, there's a lot more than there used to be, but there also is what we call a masculine shield because, um, you know, women don't trust men because of that. When men's nervous systems are like chaos, we have masculine shields 
um, which would have been like me wanting to pursue a man. That's a masculine shield. So it's, um, do you need to add to that? Well, and I think it just needs to go back to the beginning. Like before, I mean, you talk about relationships, but like courtship, like men are, they're so, and I don't know if it's, they're scared. I don't know if they just were not taught. I don't know what it is, but when you, when you don't use the word maybe, and you're actually direct and you get a, a date with a woman, um, congratulations to you because you are now like that's that's a high five for the masculine and because the feminine can say no the feminine can reject you and i think so much of it has to go with understanding that you are the pursuer and your energy in courtship is to show that female if you can provide protect and take care of her if she if she has a child with you and that is, we've lost a lot of that in our society. And that's why we're seeing this fall of masculine energy not being in the household anymore. Because did that male ever be able to provide, protect? Yes, probably he did. But then the woman stepped in, got into her masculine because usually the first 10 years of having a child, she has to be in her masculine because she's nurturing. But then she never stepped back out. And so, you know, you see a lot of divorce rates where children are around middle school age. It's because women aren't stepping back into their feminine and letting men provide, protect, and, you know, flipping back into those energies. And it's very, um, you know, it, it all goes back. I mean, I, I have gone on many dates where I just say, hey, you know, are you, are you paying for like this cup of coffee? And, you know, I have been attacked, like verbally attacked that, you know, I, you know, I'm not your sugar daddy. Okay. I, that was simply not the question. I was just trying to communicate, but if you're not able to buy me a cup of coffee, that tells my nervous system that moving forward, this isn't going to work because you're not giving you're not, I'm never going to be able to surrender and receive because you're actually not in your masculine willing to buy my $3 cup of coffee shows me that you're willing to give and provide and and then that's their energy. That's what you guys, that's what masculine energy does. You guys give feminine receives. And if men are always like, I see it so much like we're millennials, like so many men just want to receive all the time. And I'm like, you're in, you're in your feminine. I'm sorry. I like, you know, I understand once you're in a relationship, you can start 50, 50 and it's a conversation and you're communicating about money and like, you know, that's a different step, but those foundation baseline of saying like, Hey, this is what I need. And this is what you need, but giving and receiving has to be from like day one in understanding one another's energies. Well, but it's also the ceremony of becoming, it's a ceremony of becoming a man. Like we've taken ceremony out of everything. And, um, you know, even in the Bible, if anybody's familiar with that, it, you know, the whole circumcision of men, I think it's metaphoric of, and I've, you know, talked to men in their forties, it's, it's understanding sacrifice it un understanding what it is to be a man. You know, women don't have to go through the same ceremony because, you know, we naturally every month have something happening to where, you know, the, the sacrifice is built in, We're but men have to 
learn that sacrifice and, you know, so many tribes and even Native Americans, they had this coming of age, this move from boy into man. And it was ceremonial and it was huge. And the elders of the tribe taught this. And it was, it was really big to be able to hold space for a woman to, you know, become of age to have the honor of being able to take a wife and do all of these things, but understanding that that was sacrifice and that was the masculine and what that meant. And we, we, we don't have that anymore. And I think that most, uh, I wouldn't even call them men. I think almost all of them are boys. When I meet them, I'm like, you're, you act like a 12 year old. You're not even, there's no maturity. There's no grounded understanding that, the masculine holds space for that feminine chaos. And it, it doesn't mean that they don't have those moments, but it just means like 80% of that relationship is them being able to hold space for, you know, how irrational and illogical women are. We're, we're so much more emotional. We're so, we think and feel simultaneously. Men are a lot more logical, um, you know, but also the, you know, the feminine understanding that if you're sleeping with a man on the second date, his vasopressin levels aren't in monogamy. And, you know, we don't understand brain chemistry and people back in the day didn't either, but understanding that the masculine functions off challenge and pursuit. If, if you're not a challenge and, you know, you're sleeping with a dude on the second date because feminine rules boundaries, then it's your fault if it's not working. And you're wondering why he's going off after something that's more of a challenge. You can ignore these these um, instincts as much as you want, but it is not going to serve you and in the long run. And it's not going to serve you in your relationship or anything else. But, you know, hookup culture is a huge issue because women having the morals of a man is not a compliment. It's ridiculous. Uh, you know, women aren't, you know, we, le we release four times the amount of oxytocin, which is basically God or spirits like, second joke because it's the bonding chemical. We bond huge amounts more than men do when we release the most oxytocin when we're breastfeeding and understanding what these chemicals do and understanding that if you're sleeping around and your brain's constantly releasing oxytocin to all these different men, your bonding chemical is jacked and you're turning your brain into essentially a man's brain and you can't bond the same way. How are you going to bond with your children? How are you going to you know, and men need to look at this too. It's like women all over Instagram with, you know, everything hanging out. No, no man in his masculine wants that. And not only that, you're, you're completely destroying your nervous system as a woman. Um, you know, and that, that, the, you, you're, you're creating a narcissistic energy and narcissism is when you're trying to be both masculine and feminine, essentially. Uh, and, and, you know, we're idolizing that. It's just like porn and everything else. It's just a huge addictive problems in our society, but it's, it's weak masculine energy to, you know, your chi that goes back to, you know, ancient philosophies. If, you know, the Tao of, you know, if men are having sex with a lot of women, you're, you're depleting your life force. You're going to die very young. You're in hedonistic tendencies, not in stoic. And you're, you're going to be done very young. Women don't have that same problem, but you know, when, when men are driven by sex, 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 that it's, it's a, you know, dopamine release in your brain and you're getting addicted to that. And it's, it's like, this, this gets just wild. I could go on tangents about it, but it's, um, it's very concerning how hedonistic our society has become, 
but at its base, it's the sexuality and it's the core energies that we're not honoring. That's turning the whole thing into like hedonistic crazy. Well, and men haven't, I mean, back to the baseline of all of it is the masculine have, they have not gone through ceremony to learn discipline and they have not been able to learn uh, sacrifice. And those are the two things that make a man. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Part of this idea of duality, uh, you all touched on it. Um, I think you were saying when you were doing yoga, you also, or especially with Bikram, you, you realized that there was this, uh, this connection between mind and body. And, and you also mentioned this idea of psychology and the split between Freud and Jung. Um, and, and Jung was very shamanic in a way, very interested in, in, in many different cultures, Eastern cultures, shamanic cultures, and, and a lot of the archetypes and symbolism. Um, you know, even it's interesting because psychology, the, the root is psyche. It's, it's the same as psychedelics. Um, and it's often thought about in this way of mind, but, but as you were saying, there's also this connection of body that there's this, uh, interchange interplay between the two. And it, it's interesting because then even taking it a step further in many shamanic cultures, they actually view it more as like a trifectorate that there's the mind, the body and the spirit, and that actually all illness really originates in the spirit. And when that's out of balance, the mind becomes out of balance. When the mind's out of balance, eventually there becomes a, a physical ailment. Um, so can you, you maybe talk more about that psychological uh, model and, and some of the benefits and maybe some of the limitations and, um, and also how you see that relates to psychedelics? Because, you know, also many like indigenous shamanic practitioners would actually see themselves as psychologists. Um, they're actually, when they're doing their work, they're going into the mind of the patient and really beginning to, uh, as you were saying, kind of, bring order to the chaos, put, put the pieces back together, weave, weave the patterns into harmony. Um, and yet in many of the cultures we come from, we, 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 we very much separate these things. I, I mean, it's kind of the gift of the West is we are very advanced in uh, this reductionist mentality of really specializing in, in certain things, but sometimes we lose that kind of uh, more like general medicine practitioner, that, that wider expanse of seeing things a more holistic point of view. Well, and I think it's really important, you know, when you're balancing the mind, body, and spirit, you know, we don't, here in the Western world, we don't recognize the gut as a brain. It's a mind, right? And we make 90% of our serotonin in our gut. And so, you know, a lot of this starts in the gut. And, you know, with our program, we, Megan being a holistic nutritionist, we have so many people that come to us, their diets are atrocious and they want to know why they're sick. They want to know why they have brain fog. They want to know why they're, you know, depressed, anxious, like you name it with all of this, like chaos in the mind. And, it, and we're like, well, look at your, let's look at your guts. Let's, let's start there and work our way up because even in yoga, you know, everything is about the bandhas. You have to be able to engage your mula bandha and your ujjayi bandha before you can even get into your head to be able to move your limbs. Right. 
And um, so many people, especially with psychedelics, right? Like ayahuasca and mushrooms, they shut down a lot of those receptors in the stomach so that you're able to drop into the unconscious mind, right? It's all in the stomach. So many people think it's in the brain, but it really starts in the gut. Well, and, and funny enough, one of my, my favorite Greek mythology story is the story of Psyche and Eros. And Eros is Cupid, but, uh, you know, Psyche was Eros's wife and she is the goddess of mind, body, spirit. She was all three and modern day psychology is named after her. psychedelics are named after her. You cannot have one without the other. Um, and you know, funny enough, then you have the God of love. So it's like when your mind, body, and spirit is in harmony, then you're able to find love. And their story is quite beautiful. Um, if you don't know it, I highly recommend that you look it up because I think the mythology, the stories, right? Just like Adam and Eve or anything is, is extraordinary. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a little bit backwards because, um, you know, like the prototype is, or even like when you trace back human mankind, it should be not homo sapien. It should be gyno sapien because the original, the one that, you know, we can trace this back. We all go back to one female out of Africa um, and one mutation. We can trace it back. And so there's a book called um, Sex, Time and Power by Leonard Schleen. And he talks about, you know, this, the, the woman that we all came from out of Africa. And, um, you know, just like we were supposedly taken from a rib of Adam, but, you know, who... Lilith was the original one and she wasn't taken from a rib of Adam, um, taken from the rib of Adam, but it's, it's just interesting how these stories have, have, have some, I, I think they're all just great stories, but they have a lot of meaning when you look at them and you know, that psyche is the, <laughs> is named after that there there's hidden messages right there. If your psyche is jacked, then your soul's jacked, then your body's jacked. And German New Medicine really talks about this, that all ailment, any ailment starts as a conflict, you know, and it starts as a conflict in your field. So it's, you know, we're, we're energy, everybody's energy. It's like, we're matter, which is the slowest form of energy. And the fastest form of energy is a thought that we know of, right? And it's, German new medicine, I, I, when I started learning about this, I was like, oh my gosh, everything's a conflict. And I want all of you to list listening, thinking about the times that you've really been sick. You were in conflict with something. My biggest ailments in life have been around heartbreak. And I always get bronchitis or something, which is right in my heart chakra. And I'm working through that pain. It's a physical manifestation of the pain that is in my body, in my, you know, in my field. Or you get sick right after somebody dies or something's happening when you get sick with anything. And I always find it interesting when I started reading about bacteria and viruses and all this thing and that they haven't even isolated viruses. We've never seen one with an electronic microscope to this day. And yet there's all these vaccines and all of these things that pharmaceuticals and stuff have come up with. And, you know, it's, it's, they make you afraid. You go into fear response, which is a conflict. And then you wonder why you manifest fear. It's, it's this crazy psychological game. But if you understand that one equals the other and that they're all intertwined, it's like, you know, if your brain is all over the place, you need to ground into soul. If you're not connected to your soul, of course, your body and mind are going to be crazy. And, you know, and like Nicole was saying, if you're not eating healthy, if you're not taking care of your body, if you don't have vitamin D and you don't have a baseline of health, your psyche is going to be crazy. 
I mean, most people that have depression have vitamin D deficiencies. You start giving them vitamin D, their depression goes away. That's why we have seasonal depression when there's not enough sunlight because vitamin D comes from sunlight. I don't even know why they call it a vitamin. It's actually a hormone, but you know, it's pivotal to your immune system and everything else. If you're getting sick a lot and you're vitamin D deficient, hi, there's an imbalance in your body. So we have separated all of these things, but you know, even, even the Greeks and the Romans knew that it was mind, body, and spirit. Why have we stepped away from this? And why, you know, why aren't we coming back to it? In fact, there's becoming more and more polarization instead of less with, you know, they just throw drugs at anything and that's not going to solve your problems. In fact, it will probably make more. You know, like I was talking earlier about, if you don't have anxiety in the brain, your brain can't communicate properly. You know, that's the, it's basically the electrical impulse that causes all the dendrites to be able to communicate. So if you, if you're, your neuropathways can't even work without this. So if you're taking SSRIs or, um, you know, antidepressants and stuff and shutting down those electrical impulses in the brain and then wondering why you can't feel anything, why you gained 40 pounds and why you don't even know that a soul exists, you need to look at that. Um, but we also need to really come back to that understanding and that balance of the three of those things, you know, the trilogy, it's interesting that trilogy comes up in almost all religions, mythologies, you know, philosophies, whatever. There's something about a trilogy that's really interesting energy. And that's also our energy. So, you know, it's the, you just, just like everybody has masculine and feminine energy, and then you have, you know, the connection into God or source it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's really fascinating to look at the breadcrumbs that have been left for us because it, it's all there. We just have gotten in this basically psychosis of thinking that something outside of us is the answer when really, when we start to look within and start to connect into just how divine humans are and anybody that's experienced plant medicine or really heavy levels of meditation, because I believe plant medicine is a stepping stone into realizing you can do all these things yourself. It's through meditation and through connecting into the soul. And you know how much energy exists in a body. I mean, if you think of an atomic bomb, right, that's one atom being split and you're made of how many atoms in your body? Do you know the potential power that that is and what kind of frequency that can hold? And you wonder why there's all these like people trying to control minds and trying to like play this game of how do we keep humans in the dark? The potential of the mind and the body is extraordinary. And we're just on the like, I mean, shamans and stuff have known this for thousands and thousands of years. You know, I, I, I've done a lot of study in shamanic and it's like, you know, they're able to connect into these plants and connect into your body and know where your ailments are coming from. That's also why these plants are so sacred. It's, it's that connection, mind, body, spirit, but you have somebody helping facilitate that healing and that knowing of what's really going on in those three things, you know, and how to heal it and how to, you know, make one whole again, essentially. Um, but yeah, it's in, in talking about yoga, you know, you can, you can read the Patanjali, you know, he supposedly wrote the sutras 5,000 plus years ago. There's no, we don't actually know because supposedly whoever translated the book is gone and whatever. Um, and you know, modern day yoga is not mind, body, soul of which it was created to be. And when you go and you look at these ancient practices, you look at the grass, the base root of Hatha, Ashtanga, like all of these 
they, even in India today, it is religious. It is mind, body, and spirit. It's like prayer in Jerusalem. They show up every day and they do it. And we come to the Western world and it's like, wow, we're lazy. We are. We have forgotten. We don't even know. We have to reconnect the mind, body, and soul. Because you go to these other cultures and it's taught from the moment you come out of the womb what mind, body, and soul is. You actually probably even know what it is because a lot of women practice. They have, whether it's prayer or move yoga, they're doing it even pregnant. And I think that there's so much to the Western world has to learn about mind, body, and soul. And we need to look outside of ourselves at these ancient history, at these ancient cultures. There's so much to be seen and to learn from us. We're little, we're young over here in the Western world. We think we know it all, but we're like, Kurt, you know, we're round in 300 over here. And yet there's ancient civilizations that we have ruins and we know their history. We have the Rosetta Stone. We have the textbooks. We have that knowledge. Um, but it is, it is the question is, are we willing to step in and truly learn and embody mind, body, and soul or spirit in this lifetime? What would you say? I, I think there's a lot of confusion um, and, and certainly maybe less, but, but like even, for example, I remember growing up and uh, it was during the 80s and there was, you know, these commercials on TV of like Nancy Reagan and Ronald Reagan and breaking an egg into a pot and saying, this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. And, and I, I think for a long time, there, there was a lot of fear around psychedelics. And, and also there, there seems to be a very big disconnect, even in the terminology of, of how we speak about things, whether, you know, because words have real power as well. And whether we speak about something as a psychedelic or a plant medicine or a drug or a pharmaceutical or medicine, uh, we, we really seem to have these very specific ways in which we look at things that, 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 you know, I, I think a really powerful thing of a lot of traditional societies is they do put a lot of importance into the word and the story and that how the word and the story actually creates an entire cosmovision, an entire worldview. And so these words really have power. So what do you think, you know, when we're talking about psychedelics or plant medicines, how does that, or is there any difference between a drug or a medicine or food? Um, you know, kind of like we were talking about with yoga, like, is there a difference between any of these things? And, and how do you think that uh, also kind of um, shapes people's worldviews? Well, I think... Um... So that's, that's a, there's a several parts of that question. Um, so I think, you know, the word drug, uh, growing up in the eight, eight, born eighties, early nineties, you know, we were in the dare program. Like it was in the school. I mean, you, it was scary. I mean, like the things they told us, I was like, oh my gosh, like how dare us. Right. And, and looking back, it's a lot of it is now, you know, have come out there's, um, a lot of books being written about psychedelics. You know, Matt Zeman just posted a great one about or uh, published a book about psychedelics for everyone. And he really broke down the, like the, the whole history behind like dare and this like crazy movement of the word drugs. And it was a really, it was really great context because it really psychedelics are for everyone, but they're not necessarily 
um, have to, every, not everyone has to use them to benefit from them because someone may be using them to heal and they may be in your family. And because that person is healing it, you're healing generational lines. Right. And, um, so, you know, for, for me, I think the word drug, I affiliate it with pharmaceuticals. Um, anything that's been synthesized, anything that has been abused or used, that to me is a drug. And I think that everyone, if you're using psychedelics in a addictive, abusive way, that then to me is a drug, just like you can use food as a drug. You can use alcohol as a drug because you are, you are not in alignment. You are not using ceremony. You are taking away the healing properties of that. And, you know, we can even go back into ancient, ancient cultures, um, great podcast, plants of the gods, you know, ethobotanist, he, he goes all over the world and he talks about all the different plants from cocaine to red wine to absinthe. They're all were used in some sort of ceremony. They, but yet they were also used as drugs because they were at some point abused. And I think that that is, um, something that I have really looked at and said like, okay, well, this was, I was taught this is a drug, but really what in the context is it being used? Because your drug and my drug may be completely different. Even Megan's drug to my drug could be different. You know, people can even, you know, we were actually, Megan and I just having this conversation last night. Yoga can be a drug. Working out can be a drug because people are using it in a ailment to punish the body or to disassociate from what is ever they need to work on here and now. Um, and so I think that that is something that needs to be recognized in our society. Yeah. And it's, it's really fascinating to me because if you understand like base humanness, right. Um, people, there's two types of leaders. There's leaders that lead with fear tactics and there's leaders that lead through loyalty. And when you're looking at the people that you're listening to, I would really like people to start asking themselves, what is this leader or this person that's talking to me's intent? Because when the intent is to put fear in somebody, then it's manipulative behavior and it's a negative frequency and they are trying to control you. When somebody is leading out of loyalty and out of love and out of abundance, they're not in a manipulative behavior. They're in a, well, if you, it's like Buddhists, right? You've never seen Buddhists go out and be like preaching to people and trying to get them into their, into their religion, if you want to call it that, um, philosophy, whatever, you know, they're like, if you don't figure it out in this life, you'll figure it out in the next. That's, that's to me, loyalty. And that's why Buddhism, you know, even when I studied religion when I was younger, really, really resonated with me because it wasn't like them trying to shove something down my throat. And, you know, I was one of those people that was afraid of plant medicine, was afraid of these things. I thought I was going to end up in a psych ward if I ever took them. Uh, you know, and a lot of people have that, that fear. And we even have mental health and psychosis in our family. You know, we had our mom in a psych ward when we were children. So, you know, you should be afraid of taking psychedelics. And, um, you know, her psychosis was actually a break in the, the psyche of so much pain. Her men, like her, her mind couldn't take it anymore. Instead of committing suicide, she literally checked out. 
Um, you know, and she's back with us. She's totally fine. And she does mushrooms, microdosing. Um, we're going to take her down to do ayahuasca in a couple months. And, you know, it's these, these fear-based programmings. And should you be aware? Yes. Um, but also you need to understand that these plants have consciousness. I have been in ayahuasca ceremonies where people never even cross the threshold because they're not ready. So there's nothing to fear about something that has a consciousness and understanding that if you're not ready, nothing's going to happen. But so much of like the Reagan and Nixons and of the world, um, they knew the power that these plants had. And they, you know, you go back to Native American cultures and it's crazy that psychedelics have been in every single cult, like massive culture in the world. You know, Native Americans were very one with nature. They were not destructive to this earth. And, um, you know, we took, we, we outlawed mescaline or peyote because we couldn't make them civilized. Talk about removing ceremony. You know, and, and yet we introduced alcohol and it's, it destroyed Native American culture. You know, it's, it's horrific what you, we have seen happen. <gasps> Sorry. Um, the light just fell. <laughs> well, Shiloh just knocked it over. Um, what we have seen take place in, uh, in the world. And a lot of it's just been fear-based tactics of, you know, how do we control the minds of people? Because in essence, psychedelics and plant medicine free the mind of that fear of that control that, um, you know, certain people have tried to exploit. And it goes back to like the mass consciousness. If you control the mass consciousness, you basically control the world. Uh, and plant medicine is what is freeing us from that. But we have to overcome the stigma that's been placed there by leaders that let out of fear. So when you start asking why or asking questions uh, that lead you to the base of why people are doing what they're doing, uh, you understand energy and frequency, and it's usually pretty easy to deduce what somebody's motives are. Uh, and, you know, taking the stigma out of plant medicine is a big thing for us because, you know, so many people are, are male that are in the psychedelic world currently. Uh, and, you know, there's, it's exactly what you were saying about like the, the women speaking about the masculine, we're asking the masculine to step in, but we're also taking on plant medicine of like free the mind so that you, you don't have these fears around everything because most people are functioning out of fear with everything that they do. It's fear, 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 lack, lack, lack. I'm like, what if you just step into live in abundance? What's going to happen? Like, just do it. Uh, and people do it and they're like, well, it worked. Like you realize you're, 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 we're, we're so dense as humans. Um, you know, there's a density of us, but we also think we have this ego that thinks that it knows. Um, but the ego is to, it's protecting the mind and the body. If you step outside of ego, which plant medicine helps, you really see how much fear is a fallacy. What's the worst that can happen? You die. Okay. Well, you know, on to the next, on to the next. <laughs> there's nothing to fear. You should have far more fear of not living than you ever should have dying. Like, uh, in fact, dying is just another like roller coaster ride of, you know, you get to see what's on the other side of all of this. The 99% that we can't see as humans because we see 1%, we comprehend 1%. Um, but, but, but fear is not real. Um, and when I started doing plant medicine, when I started stepping into it, I really, 
realized how much I lived my life in fear. And, you know, part of that was it's been bred into you since you were a child by the government and everything else. And, um, you know, and that's why plant medicine isn't legal in 48 states, you know, and, and we're, we're pushing against that. I would, when you're willing to, and I mean this, it's like, I was willing to die for plant medicine. It's like, go to prison, do what I don't care because I knew in my soul that this was my purpose, but not only that, it was like, people need this. This is, this is not a, like, it's not a, okay, we might know, like people need this. This is a need. This is society needs this culture need because it steps you out of that fear and that programming in such a short amount of time. It's crazy. And when people start to do this, you're really going to start to see your soul and see that you're, you know, you're, um, a soul having a human experience, like the humanness and everything that's happening is happening for you, not to you. Uh, and it's, it's just like, I think it's such an exciting time to be alive because we're going to step out of all of that. Like our parents and their parents were in this just like very dense one dimensional energy and our generations and the generations after us are going to have choice and, that's what we're coming back to is just realizing choice, realizing intention, realizing how powerful those things are. And, um, I, I think humanity is just, we're in for such a great, um, awakening that it's, it's, they we're going to see a lot of crazy stuff. There's no doubt, but you know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And if you realize all the craziness that's happening, the, the light is equal to that. Uh, you know, you get so much more excited about what's to come than what's to pass. So it's, um, it's pretty wild. You were mentioning this idea of fear and, you know, I've been very fortunate to have worked with, with probably thousands of people now through these plant medicine ceremonies. And, uh, from very early on, I, I saw that fear was, was really, for me, the, the thing that really kept us separated and, and we were kind of talking about mythology and archetypes. And I think it's a very common archetype you see throughout various religions and spiritual traditions, this idea of the fall from grace, the fall from Eden, the, the, the eating of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, but it's all kind of this idea that, that there was this primordial split, uh, a fall from God, the, the, the world of duality. Also, as you mentioned, like the, the, the idea of three of, of past, present, future, birth, life, death. Um, and that in a way we're all afraid of kind of this idea we mentioned earlier of really remembering who we are and where we come from. Um, and you also mentioned earlier, you, you mentioned kind of a COVID or the pandemic, um, that it was kind of this turning point where maybe that also uh, uh, allowed you to, to switch careers or, or see things in a different way. And I was wondering if there was something specific about COVID that also maybe helped that along, like seeing the fear, seeing the mass psychosis. You also mentioned this idea of government and control and pharmaceuticals and how these things all without being too conspiratorially uh, minded, but really are colluding together to create or perpetuate a, a very strong fear state. And 
And it's why I think that wasn't something that was so surprising to me from the beginning is because it's something I see all the time of how strong that fear is and, and how much it does control the human mind and, and how much it can be used uh, by other actors to manipulate and control and to lead. Um, so there was there something about COVID that, that allowed you all to, to maybe see things in a different way? Or was it just a time of, since everything was shut down, you had to also come up with alternative ways of making a living or living your life? Um, or was there nothing to that at all? <laughs> uh, it was actually both. So... I was actually a private flight attendant for seven years. So not only did I live in DC, which is like government and saw a lot of stuff behind there, but I also flew for the 1%. Uh, and I had flown Pfizer CEOs and CXOs. And um, I found out that they don't vaccinate their children and they don't get vaccinated themselves. And that was a really interesting, like aha moment for me. Uh, when you start to see behind the veil of, you know, all of these people don't have rules the same way that we do. You know, they they get on planes with drugs and hookers and all of this stuff and they don't get punished. Um, so for me, it was seven years of really seeing what the 1% looked like, um, but it was my career and my job. So I kept my mouth shut and <laughs> went on because I was very much in what I call the matrix and very much in that, like, if you don't shut up and, you know, stay in your place, then you're going to get in trouble. It was fear-based, right? Into silence and everything else. And, you know, of course, in survival mode, which is fear. And then when COVID hit, I lost my job and I had to, you know, reassess everything in my life. And it brought into focus, like how I had been living and how, you know, how I actually wanted to live and who I am and who I wanted to be. And, the the calls and the desires that I had shut off to just try to survive and realizing like what survival is and how most people are living. And so for a lot of people, COVID was really, you know, a terrible time. Um, but for me, I personally, I couldn't have asked for anything more extraordinary in my life because it caused me to step out of the chaos that I was in and look at what I was doing and what I was a part of and what I was perpetuating and what I was fearful of. And it was essentially this call to action. Um, you know, when you think of the hero's journey, we're all on our own hero's journey. That's why we're so obsessed with story. And, you know, that was the pause in my hero's journey. And then, and then uh, you know, unintentionally the call into action of like, who are you going to be? Are you going to go back into you know, what I call the matrix and a lot of people do, or are you going to step into the unknown, step into your soul's journey, step into who the potential of who you can be. Uh, and, you know, I started reading and I started, because I, I had time. It was the first time in my life I'd really had time to look at things and to read and to, to see beyond, you know, everything that was happening. There was so much fear, you know, I, I was not going to get the vaccine after what I had seen on private planes. There was no chance. And yet, you know, you were, we were murderers. We were this, we were that. And it's like, what happened to body autonomy? You can't in the same sentence be saying like abortion should be legal, but you're killing people if you're not getting a vaccine. It's like, it doesn't make sense. Both are murder in my, in my opinion, but body autonomy is body autonomy. We should all have choice. That means we all have choice with anything. It can't be just one thing or not the other. So things just stopped making sense. Um, 
you know, the, the, the BLM movement and all of that. I saw firsthand living in DC during, you know, the George Floyd thing. And it was like, this is creating separation. This isn't unity. Um, I wasn't taught to see skin color as a child. Our parents didn't teach that. And it was like, um, you know, it's the human soul. Who are you as a human? And yet it would all of a sudden it was like, you're a racist if you don't see skin color. And I'm like, that doesn't mean I don't honor culture. I just don't. I was so confused. Everything that I had been taught, everything that like, it just got sent into such like heightened chaos. And, um, I really started stepping into meditation. I really started being like, well, what does my soul think? Right? Like, I can sit here in my mind and deduce things, but what is my heart telling me? Because the mind thinks, but the heart knows. And one of the biggest things I learned from heartbreak is logically love doesn't even make sense, right? It's like love teaches you so much in the fact that we're actually spiritual beings because if we weren't, love wouldn't even be a thing because it's actually a state of psychosis in a way. Um, and but love is the most powerful force on the planet. In fact, that's why we do most things, right? Is love. It's a huge, huge energy field. It's actually the strongest energy field known to man. And it's the only thing that's indestructible and it has no limits. Love is extraordinary. Um, and when I started dropping into that frequency, when I started, you know, really listening to my heart and realizing that the heart knows, but the mind thinks and feeling into energy fields was when everything shifted. And that's when plant medicine and everything was, um, able to step into my life was because I started looking beyond what I have been taught and what beyond I'm able to just see with my eyes. Uh, and, and COVID taught me that because it was just, there was so much happening and so much control and just really crazy stuff of, you know, like the masks was another thing. They didn't make any sense to me. I'm like, what are you talking You put something over your face and that protects you. Uh, like that, even like, any kind of thought process behind that, it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, you know, shut off your breathing and wear this for 12 hours. Like that, 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 that can't be good for you. We're, we're both yoga teachers. I'm like, that's really bad for your lungs. Like, uh, the chemicals. No, 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 no. You know, all the chemical, all the gloves, all the, I mean, people were in so much fear. And I, I think I just came to the point where I was like, I don't want to live like this. Like that was my, like, that this is, this can't be real because I refuse for this to be my reality. And then I realized that there's choice in reality, um, of just like, even if I do get sick, like, it's not going to kill me. I know it's not going to kill me. It's, it's a basically SARS. If you have a strong immune system, I mean, sure. If you're the elderly and things like that, but my boss at the time sent out this insane email and he also helped a lot with how I looked at things. And he just, he said, cause he, he's, he's a genius. Um, but he mathematically broke down everything that if we shut down, if we do this, if we do that, it will destroy the economy and everything we've ever known. Uh, you know, and at the time I was like, oh my gosh, he's absolutely right. But he deduced this mathematically in a huge email that was like 15 pages long. And he sent it out to the entire company. And I was, and he's like, everything our fathers and forefathers worked for will die and be destroyed if we shut down this economy. It's not worth the lives that will be lost because they'll be lost anyway because it's flu season. So, you know, if you have to make a choice, are you going to destroy the future generations or, you know, we're going to lose a few more people to than we usually do. 
And that is, you know, it's very vile to have to make that choice. But the thing is, is like people die. That's just part of life. But people, you know, governments and things like that use that to manipulate people. They manipulate your emotions. They manipulate and own you. If you are in charge of your energy fields, then you can't be manipulated because emotions are rooted in the past and people don't really understand that. But when you're having an emotional reaction to something, it's rooted in trauma. When you're in your feelings, you're in the present, but most people aren't even connected to their feelings. And people that are emotional don't care about feelings because they're so traumatized and so much trauma cycles that they don't even know how to be present to feel in the moment. And, you know, people know, the people that be that know this, and, you know, all you have to do again, ask yourself the same question that I was saying earlier, what are these people's motives? Because if you unite humanity, black, white, Asian, doesn't matter. If you realize you're a soul and you're having a soul experience and you're put in these like painted blood bags, essentially, what does it matter? What skin color you have? What does it matter where you come from? We are all here. We're all in this together. There is no like you, me against anything other than it comes down to light and dark energy and it's oneness and you can't have good without bad. You can't have night without, you know, day. These things are just energetic patterning and frequencies. And once you understand them, fear falls away. And, but if you lose fear, they lose the way that they lead and they lose the way that they control people because they don't lead out of loyalty. They lead out of fear and, you know, you're called a conspiracy theorist and this and that, and you don't have to get into conspiracy to just see like how the Roman empire fell to see, you know, how, how it implodes. And, you know, you, 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 you divide people, you have power. If you unite them, then we're in a oneness that they don't like because they can control it. And there's been people that have woken up for centuries and they've been killed off because, um, you know, people want power and people in power just want more power. And how do you do that? You control people's psyches. You control them never waking up, never knowing that there's more than this. Uh, and it's, it's, it's really dark in a way. Um, but that, and, and also I'm like actually very grateful for it because it taught me everything that I needed to know. And like that, uh, like I say, the dark night of the soul taught me how to actually be so in gratitude for being able to see what's actually happening, being able to know that you have choice. So even the really like things that seem negative, again, it goes into that oneness of like what really is good and bad because the worst people in your life are essentially teaching you a lesson. Is there even really such thing as bad or is it all just part of the grand plan? Uh, and I think that things needed to get really dark and needed to get very controlling and needed so that people see because it wasn't bad enough before. And people are like, well, I'm comfortable. Well, if you're comfortable, then there's not going to be change. Change happens outside of your comfort zone. So all of this time in history is really pushing people out of being comfortable so that they can evolve. And we need it. We need it. It's time, like enough suffering, enough trauma, enough, you know, and that's why the plants and everything are coming back in. People are hitting their threshold. It's like, I, I just you can't live like this anymore. Uh, you know, and that's the people that are coming to this. I just can't live like this anymore. I'm like, great. 
you're you're ready. But that happens with alcoholics and everything. You see them hit rock bottom and then they're ready for change. So essentially we're hitting rock bottom as a world and as a consciousness. And now it's like, you're either going to wake up or you're going to stay in, in in the dark, but we are all are coming to a point where we have choice and, uh, you know, uh, psychedelics and plant medicine are huge. They always have been, but they're becoming mainstream once again of just what they can offer us into that amnesia of the soul of being able to connect back into that. One of the things that's very fascinating, and it's kind of a paradox, and and also another one of these these dualities is um, you all were mentioning that that one of the main things of of these plant medicines or psychedelics is this idea of knowing thyself, um, and you also mentioned this idea of ancestral trauma and this idea that uh, these plants can actually help us not only with ourselves, but you said that even someone who's not taking them can feel the effects maybe by someone who did. And you also mentioned kind of this, this, um, this idea of, of your mother, how uh, she had the spiritual crisis and also your father was an alcoholic. And you, you, you said this idea of, uh, which I found really beautiful and fascinating, this idea that you, you made space for your father Um is that something you can talk about? Because I, I think a lot of people realize, obviously, the the personal benefit of, of, of doing any sort of healing. Like, obviously, we, we have to heal the self. No one else is going to do that except for us. Um, you also mentioned this idea of, like, victimhood. Often that victimhood, it, it comes from a real place. Like, there has mm-hmm. been there have been bad things that have happened to us. But as long as we're in that state, then it's very difficult to disassociate from that state, to let it go, to, to realize the teaching of it. Uh, and as you said, to, to see the good in it, even though it, it may not have felt good, but that it is serving us. Um, but I think that I, so I think a lot of people realize that idea of, of, of our own personal healing. Um, but it is one of the fascinating things about, especially plant medicine, is kind of the, 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 the reverberation or the resonance that can have, and especially to those who are close to us. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if you mind talking. It doesn't have to be personal, but I think that 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 idea with your father is really beautiful of, of how something like that, just doing your own work, could then be to be a container to actually allow someone else to be able to experience their own self-discovery or healing. Yeah, um, so he is... Formally sober nine years, September, 2022. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he, um, he has his own story. Definitely won't go into his own personal story of like why he started drinking and that, um, I will, I will say that his parents abused it. His father particularly was an alcoholic. Um, he was the only son of six sisters in a very rigid Catholic upbringing, um, Irish German Catholic. So um, you can kind of just imagine with the religious trauma alone, um, you know, kind of what was around that also being the only boy. um, There were some very high standards that were placed upon him and um, he was very successful to this. I mean, he's retired now, but he was very successful and um, he battled, he battled from a very early on, um, very early age of alcohol and drug use. And, um, 
When we went, we actually, the story began, we went to, we went on a family cruise. We went and did, um, where would we, oh, Alaska. We went to Alaska and we were in Vancouver a couple of days before the ship left. And we were with my dad. Um, my parents are separated. My mom, my dad is remarried. Uh, so we were with my dad and I, don't, I think my stepmom was working back in the hotel and, um, you know, we just told him like, Hey, you know, we know this is a thing and we know that you have, you know, this, you know, you're, you battled it. He's, he had tried to get sober many times when I was born. Um, I was born 1988, tried to get sober then, um, many times in and out of AA rooms and it never worked. And he, um, you know, I think that that was a big part of it. It was that he felt like he always was, he failed every time he tried to get sober. And, um, you know, we just told him like, Hey, we're in Al-Anon, we're doing our work. And, you know, like, if you want to talk about it, awesome. Um, and it was a very short time after that cruise. I remember he called me, um, I actually had to pull over. I was at a gas station and he just said, um, Nicole, I, um, I'm going to try to get sober. And, um, I just remember like thinking like, that's amazing. Like whatever you need from me, like, um, I'm here and, um, you know, there was not much you can say to someone that says that to you. And I don't remember all the details of it. That was just mainly what I can recall. And, uh, that was very short time after that. He, um, he, I, I don't know the full story, but he did end up in the hospital. Um, originally they thought it was a stroke. But um, it was, he had gone cold turkey and just tried to stop drinking and he thought he had it under control. Um, so in that, in that whole thing, um, you know, he, he spent a good amount of time in the ICU. He was in a full medically induced coma. Um, by the time I had gotten to the hospital and actually had the conversation with the nurse, they, they didn't realize that it was alcohol. He was, he was detoxing. He was in full um, detox and um, he died. He died trying to get sober, yet they brought him back. And, um, you know, it's a beautiful story because when we talked to him, you know, he saw the white light. And to this day, um, he'll never touch it. He's He said, you know, like he he saw God. He had a conversation and he, he knew that he had a purpose moving forward. And, you know, I, I think so many people need to know that there is hope on the other side. And actually, I don't want to even say hope. I want to say love on the other side, because when you open space for someone, you don't realize how you can change someone else's life. You don't know just by opening or saying, hey, I've got you. You don't know what's going to happen and being genuine in that. And, you know, we, we, in working in psychedelics, we always talk about like when people find God, right? Like my dad, he found God, he found purpose, he found spirit, whatever it was that he was searching for in his seek to sobriety, he found it. And now, you know, nine years later, he's in service. He, he gets up every day and serves, um, you know, and we can openly have a conversation. We talk about it. Um, we actually were just talking about having him on our podcast if he wants to come and share his story. Because 
you know, this is a 63 year old man who, you know, had a very successful career. He's very intelligent on the outside. You would have never known he had everything put together. You know, he was remarried. He, you know, had a career, he retired, he, you know, he remarried. Um, and it's a story for a lot of people that you don't know what's going on underneath unless you really truly have a relationship with that person. And we see it even in every day, you know, we, we talk to people that are struggling with addiction every day. Um, it's, it's amazing because so few realize that when you have a spiritual experience, you find purpose and then you, you step into purpose and then you can live wholeheartedly back to the wholesome idea, right. Of being here and having this experience with purpose. Well, and it really comes down to embodiment. Um, and when you unconditionally love yourself and you're able to grant that unconditional love to somebody else, because if you look at addiction or um, suicide or anything, it's really the same. It's control. Um, and really addiction is a f- slow form of suicide, just like anorexia, drinking, any kind of drug abuse. Like you're, it's, you're essentially suicidal, um, but it comes down to control and it lives in the DMN, which we know psychedelics work in the DMN, which is the default mode network. And uh when we started to accept ourselves unconditionally and realize I'm going to love myself and become an embodied human, whether you're on the same journey as me or not, we started, we didn't know at the time, but that was the beginning of embodiment of like, I love you for who you are and not my expectations of who you should be. Because that's what society does to all of us. You need to be this. You need to be that. If you're not, then you're worthless. You know, you're not good enough. You're not worthy. And when you step into, you know what? I'm human and I love myself and all of my flaws, no matter what. And I grant my myself that love and acceptance. So therefore I can grant humanness to someone else. It's amazing how addiction dissipates because most people are never given an environment where they are unconditionally accepted and loved, no matter how you're interacting with them. And of course, there's boundaries and stuff around that. But when we were having that conversation with our dad, when we were in Vancouver, I remember him just being like, why are you in Al-Anon? And I said, because I've decided to take responsibility for myself. I have decided to step in and stop shirking the responsibility of blaming somebody else. I am not responsible for what happened to me as a child, but I am responsible for the adult that I'm becoming and who I will be. And, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting shift that people have to go through. You're a victim as a child. It's true. You, you, you do not choose your upbringing or how your parents have interacted with you or what happened to you, but you are responsible with what you do with it. And, um, it is exact what you have been through and the trauma or darkness or whatever that has been inflicted on you is your direct path to what you're meant to do here. And when you turn that darkness into light, you become, excuse my language, but I love saying this, you become unfuckable with because people can't use that trauma against you. You, it becomes your light and you get to turn around and be the light at the end of the tunnel for somebody else because you cannot give anybody anything that you haven't embodied and as you know, we, we've walked through Helen bag with both of our parents, you know, our mom, she was essentially suicidal, anorexic, all of these things, and she wouldn't commit suicide. So she just mentally snapped. And 
you know, we watched her going to different dimensions and also it was wild what we saw as children. You know, I was six and Nicole was uh, nine or 10 and, you know, watching somebody completely lose their mind and go into psychosis right in front of you. And you're just like, what is happening? You know, at the time I didn't know about dimensions or anything. All I knew is now she's in a psych ward and I don't even know if she's my mother anymore. Um, but you know, when you embody that and it's like, I used to be ashamed of telling people that. And now it's like, no, if my mom can walk through that and she can embody it and you realize that psychosis is a state of trauma that's not embodied, that has fear around it. And you start to change that frequency. And now I've seen people in a state of psychosis and they're usually spouting brilliant things. They're connected into something that's so far beyond us that they're usually spouting stuff that's realer than what I'm saying to you because they're connected straight into spirit. They've shut off their humanness and they're connected into their soul. And I remember some of the things she was saying when, you know, she was in a full state of psychosis about, you know, darkness and light and heaven and hell and the battle, the spiritual battle that's going on with light and dark. And, um, you know, that there's different, I mean, she was saying all of these things and, um, you know, as a six year old, you're just like, what the hell? And of course that traumatized me. But now I look at it and I go, man, people can be in a straight state of psychosis. I have no fear of it. I'm like, I get you. I feel you. Like, I know, I know what's happening, but I also know you can walk through this. It offered me an ability to hold space. So again, you have to start looking at your trauma and what you have been able to develop because of that. You know, we're both extreme empaths because of our dad's alcoholism and our mom's like really, you know, she was anorexic and very moody and had just a volatile energy to her because of all of the trauma she grew up with. And, you know, now I'm really grateful for that. I'm I'm so grateful for everything that happened to me. And it, it's wild, right? That you can even think that, oh my gosh, like these horrible things are good. Yeah. Cause they're direct. Nothing happens by chance. There is no such thing as coincidence. So when you start to turn your darkness into light, again, it's that yin yang realize that you cannot understand the how bright your light can be without knowing the depths of darkness of your soul. And I know that my capacity to do amazing things is equal to my ability to do treacherous things, but I choose light. I choose to step in every day because darkness is a part of all of us. And once we accept that, then we can accept it in other people. We can accept it in the universe. And, it, and not only that, it doesn't scare you. Because you know you are light. You know that everybody is capable of that choice. You know that if you're embodied and you turn around, you get to help grant that to other people because you've transmuted your trauma. You've transmuted your darkness and the dark night of the soul. And all this is just part of being human. And those tests and those, I mean, you think of like Hercules, right? Everybody knows that, the Disney movie. All the trials and tribulations he went through. But he had to, because if you're given, it's like a karate master, right? By the time somebody becomes a ninja, they can kill somebody with their bare hands, but they've developed the discipline of discernment to know when that's okay. And when it's not, you cannot be granted, granted great power without discipline and discernment and darkness and suffering teach that. And so when you learn to honor your suffering and honor what that's given your soul and the strength that it's given your soul, you understand why you came to have this human experience. Because 
essentially it's a soul evolution. You come here to transmute suffering and realize everything is really love. It's just how you're looking at it and how you're stepping into it. So fear doesn't really exist in my field very much. And when it does, I'm like, okay, well, how do I transmute this? What am I, what is the, where's my blind spot? What is this trying to teach me? Uh, and there's not that conflict because I realize it's just a teacher. I realize it's just part of my journey. I realize that it's choice and how it's transmuted. And I have the choice to look at this as victimhood, or I have the choice to look at it as a victor and stand up and keep going. Um, you know, man in the arena by Eisenhower is a beautiful translation of what it is to be human. It's like, are you going to be the person in the stands that never lives their life? Or are you going to be the victor in the arena that's covered in dirt and blood and all of the crazy stuff. And you get up and you keep going because you know that at the end of the day, uh, you know, that the world needs you. Even if you have this much, right. And you only touch five people, those five people need you. It, it's not about you anymore. It's about everybody. And we're in this together. And when you have people relying on you, you step in. Um, it, it's, it's just this, like, if I don't do my work, then I don't get to, you know, stand in my truth so that somebody, I challenge somebody else to stand in theirs, you know, and that's essentially what happened with our dad and our mom. When we started stepping into our truths, we challenged them to seek theirs. And, um, you know, so, so many people or how our society is set up is that, you know, adults know more than children. That's not true. If you look at children, they can teach us so much. They're so purely themselves. And that's all we're trying to do is just get to back to that pure essence that we were as children, because we come in with this knowing and this understanding of what our soul is. And then we go through this amnesia and this trauma and all this stuff. We're essentially just trying to swim our way back to that soul that we come in as. Uh, and as we get closer and closer to that, it, it becomes this crazy ride. Um, but you get to ask other people to step in because when you're doing the work, they see it. I mean, I, I was on a call the other day with a girl that I haven't seen in 10 years. And she's like, you don't even look like the same person. You don't, you don't, nothing about you is the same person. I'm like, I'm not because I stopped being a victim. I stopped letting, you know, my circumstances and everything rule who I am. And I am choosing to be the person that I want to become every day. And that comes back to that choice and that understanding that when you do your work, you're inspiring other people. And not only that, it's energy, right? And energy is contagious. Mass consciousness is part of everything, whether you realize it or not. And when you're doing your work and you're meditating and you're stepping in, it's causing a vibrational shift, like a wave, right? Or an electrical impulse through the rest of humanity. So even if you're not talking to anybody and you're just sitting in meditation and you're honoring your light, you're doing the light work that we all are asking you to do right now. Everybody's needed right now. Everybody needs to step in. Everybody needs to look their darkness in the face and say, where's my light in this? Where's my truth? Who do I want to be? And plant medicine helps with that because I will never forget being in a plant medicine ceremony. And I was actually laughing and it turned into sobs. And I was like, oh my gosh, grief and joy are the same. It's just unexpressed love. Grief is just unexpressed love. Tears, tears of joy, tears of pain. They're the same. I mean, you think about when somebody dies, that's pain, but it's actually love. Like it, it's all, it all becomes this really weird, how you frame it. 
Uh, and that's just enlightening. But those are the kind of gifts that plant medicine give us. It's a totally different perspective than what we have been taught to think of really anything and everything. So. Yeah, thank you both for sharing all of that. That, that was beautiful. It, it reminded me when you were speaking of discernment and, and choosing the light there, there's a quote in the Bible that, that never, uh, I never really understood it or resonated. And it's this idea that the meek shall inherit the earth. Um, but then recently I heard um, a different translation and it had to do with this idea that it wasn't the meek. It, it had to do with the swordsmen and the idea that the, the swordsmen who were obviously masters of the sword, but who chose to sheath their sword. To those the earth shall be inherited and it really has to do with this idea of discernment power of, of really mastering that skill of, of of using the sword but then choosing to shield it choosing to to choose the light um finding that discernment um it's interesting you were also speaking about embodiment and behind you is a mushroom and it's interesting because in uh, Nuatla, the one of the the languages of the the aztec in, in mexico the mushroom was actually called the, the flesh of the God or the body of the God. Uh, so it really has to do with this idea of embodiment. Um, it seems like a lot of your work is working with, with mushrooms, with psilocybin. Um, can you talk about that, uh, about that aspect of your work and, and, and why the mushroom, specifically psilocybin, has had such a big impact? And, and what, are the, what do you find are the benefits of that? Um, because also, I, I think you're coming from Colorado, if I'm correct. Um, and, and that's been, I, I think now, something that's been legalized, if I'm correct, uh, just recently, right? Yeah, so we um, so Colorado legalized and decriminalized simultaneously. We passed the biggest le biggest legislation bill in psychedelics in the world. Um, so it was huge in regards to the forefront of this movement because we kind of set the we set the bar high here in Colorado. We did it with cannabis and um, the push for the medical and watching what the Charlotte's Web brothers did with. Um, cannabis and cancer research. So, you know, it, Colorado really, we really like to just be the big brother in things. And especially in plant medicine, we thought Oregon was going to do it, but Oregon just kind of, they did, but now they're kind of backtracking and they're kind of, they're still very wishy-washy. Colorado's like, okay, we're, we're, we're in it now. Um, so it's been really fun to watch. Um, there hasn't been a lot since the proposition passed in regards to that. We've been trying to keep our eye open for it, but pretty much um, it's decriminalized and legalized here in in uh, Colorado. So it's uh, it's great for the, you know, Colorado has, we have, well, especially in the Springs, we have six military bases. So, you know, my my vision originally is like, wow, this is great for the veterans, for the PTSD, for those working in that work, because it really does help um, in that. And they've, they've done a lot of research in regards to PTSD with psilocybin to be able to give those who have served our country some peace and some healing that they, they deserve. And um, hopefully, you know, as this continues and the ball continues to roll, I, I get on social media every day and I see a new state pushing legislation through uh, Virginia, Quebec. We've got um, California rewriting legislation behind it. Um, Washington, D.C. had already decriminalized it. So, you know, it, we're starting to already see it with just one single, you know, state that has decriminalized and legalized it, um, which is, is really exciting to see what happens in this whole entire movement because 
the world needs it right now. Um, Australia just fully declassified um, DMN and psilocybin, which is amazing for their their country. Um, they de- they use it. It is just for medical use, which is great. Um, it's a step forward in the um, in the Renaissance era. Um, we particularly just use psilocybin um, right now. We do we do work in ayahuasca in regards to if people are ready for it, we connect them um, to go work with shamans. We do not it. We don't give it ourselves. We are not practitioners of that. Um, practitioners. I don't classify myself as a shaman, nor does Megan. Um, we don't come from you know ancestral generation of it. So we don't believe in it. We will host and hold space, but we, we don't, um, we don't believe in that. So we work in psilocybin, um, mainly because Megan did an ayahuasca ceremony and that was her download. Um, you know, they, they pretty much told her, um, and Megan can talk about that, you know, that this is our plant. This is where we are in alignment with. And, um, I felt that alignment as well as I have always been connected with plants, um, just even oils and herbs, like I just from a very young age, I've always been around. So, um, you know, when we started using it, we started seeing the effects of it. And then it really like, we didn't need to search out anything else. It didn't seem to be anything else that we were called to, and it might change down the road, but, um, I don't think that. I don't think we need anything else. We've worked and talked to many shamans down in Mexico and in um, South America, you know, that have talked about these flesh of the gods and, you know, they, they didn't use anything else either, you know? So to us, it's like, we are staying in one focus. It's working. Um, People, you, you know, they're, they're a little more accepting of mushrooms. They're not, it's not scary. Um, You know, for me personally, and I can also, I think, speak for Megan, you know, the synthesized form of anything really um, is taking away the purity of it. So anything, you know, I know there's a lot of ketamine treatments and synthesized mushrooms. Anybody I've actually talked to that has used synthesized or synthetic mushrooms, they said it was actually a horrible experience. Um, and I, I don't know how many, you know, I've talked to just several, but those that actually use ones that are grown with love and, um, cultivated, they, they don't have any, seem to have any issues now, you know, they may be shown something that they have to process, but you know, that's totally, totally different. Um, but we, you know, working with 12 different strands, working in each energy centers of the body, really processing and helping people see what's coming up because they show you what you need to see and what you need to look at. And especially when you're setting an intention with them, um, they're very intelligent little, uh, fungi and they, they definitely will give you, um, what you ask for. Yeah. And I, I think with mushrooms, it was just like accessibility. Um, but yeah, when I went down and did my first ayahuasca ceremony, my intention was know thyself. And the first experience I had was like, I had mushrooms growing out of my hands and there was like codes in a different language coming into my body. And I was like, okay, now I'm just a mushroom. Cool. Um, I was very happy as a mushroom. Uh, and for whatever reason, you know, that was the other, like that was before I, we started actually administering it or doing anything. Uh, at that point I had just, microdosed and macrodosed, I hadn't, you know, even thought about 
offering it to other people or anything. And, uh, you know, again, I, I still don't know what was said to me in those different languages. Uh, you know, so much of an ayahuasca ceremony makes sense. And then other parts really don't. Um, but that's like why our emblem looks like a mushroom lady. Cause yeah, we essentially just like turned into a mushroom. Um, but it, it, you know, it's, it's really easy to, you know, and there's plenty of things online to teach you how to grow mushrooms and this and that. It's like the, the, the fungi is a really easily accessible type of plant medicine. You know, you can go out and find psychedelic mushrooms foraging and things like that. Uh, you know, it's funny that they made them illegal because like, how do you make a species that grows wild illegal? And like, who made humans God? Like, okay. Uh, kind of entertaining to even think about. Um, but it, it's, you know, the accessibility and that people can have access to them quite readily and that we can have access to them through our suppliers to be able to work with people uh, and that they are androgynous because frequency is quite interesting and mushrooms are one of the plant medicines that's actually androgynous. And it's funny that we work in masculine and feminine and like I said, when we we're, were writing our program or everything, we made sure that the fungi were present in um, were the consciousness. And so it's kind of funny that it's evolved, evolved to really include that and be open to uh, those energies, fields, being able to be seen and be present in people. Uh, and so that people have a better understanding and can conceptualize what that means. Because, you know, like ayahuasca is the grandmother and um, peyote's masculine and things like that. So, you know, these, these things all have energy fields too, and shamans are well aware of this. And I, I think it'll be interesting in the next four years as, um, according to astrology as Western, uh, medicine starts to shift and change and kind of fall in a way, uh, how I think shamanic medicine and plant medicine are really going to start to take its place. And we're going to see miraculous things with, people just being able to like instantaneously heal and overcome autoimmune. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's unfathomable what these things are capable of to the human mind. Uh, you know, the things that have been possible from what we've seen from clients shouldn't be possible. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that they are, but it should not be possible in a rational mind uh, that, you know, people have spiritual awakenings and, you know, that was one of the things that was taught to us by our dad is I was like, what causes people to get sober and stay sober? Like what allows people to, you know, to, to want to change. And, you know, essentially it's spirit, it's God. You see over and over again, the people that have seen the white light or, you know, died and came back, they're totally changed because they've experienced that, um, that higher self or that God energy that you experience in plant medicine. I mean, I couldn't believe you know, and ayahuasca is a, a lot, um, you know, with mushrooms, you, when you macrodose, you're still kind of here, uh, is how I'll explain it. But ayahuasca, I was in like a, on a different, like I wasn't even, I was in my body, but it really, it's a totally different experience. Uh, and it's, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. Um, if you're not ready to kind of just like be and accept and, <laughs> kind of just let it guide you it's it's going to be it can be really um jarring uh but the more that you surrender and the more that you realize you know the journey that you're on and how profound like these things are as tools and teachers into 
really connecting into that. Uh, and even in microdosing, I mean, and I, and I think that I've, we've been able to do the work we've done in such a short amount of time and uh, even gone to like Joe, Joe Dispenza retreats and things like that and been able to recreate what plant medicine does through meditation is because I started out microdosing and then I macrodosed and then I went and did ayahuasca. I built this relationship with soul, with the quantum field with, and I trust it. Uh, and I think so many people don't even know what trust and faith is, uh, that they need to reestablish that because the more that you have faith and the more that you understand energy, you can go into those planes and those frequencies without having that, like, Oh, I don't want to do this. There's that surrender and that faith in the unknown, um, that plant medicine really grants you. And again, we always tell people it's, this is plant medicine is stepping stones into realizing you can recreate this through meditation. And we're big in meditation. We meditate every day, uh, and connect into that, you know, higher self, higher plane, whatever you want to call it. And that's what we teach people to do. And that's what these are the facilitators of is the rediscovery of self and who you really are and truly are without all of the layers, um, that have taken form, you know, for survival essentially. Um, but it's, it's, it will be a lifelong honor for me to, I can only speak for myself. I think Nicole feels the same way to have even been asked to be a part of all of this. Um, I'm very honored and humbled every day that I woke up when I did, that I got to experience this, that I get to, um, you know, for those that are seeking to get to, you know, help them find their path in whatever capacity that is. And it's a wild ride. Uh, and I just, I, we couldn't do it without plant medicine. I mean, I think of like therapists and stuff, the road that they've had to walk without really much assistance is, uh, I couldn't do it. Like I really couldn't, that's a lot, uh, without really having answers. You know, and the thing is, is we don't have to have answers. We just get to give people tools and framings and I get to trust that the mushrooms and their souls will do the rest of the work. So there's, there's not that like trying to control or anything over it either. It's that, um, relationship and faith in plant medicine and soul and everything that it's reconnecting those people to. And you just get to honor and hold space for their, um, for their journey. And, uh, you know, I think that's also where it's changing in life is that we're allowing people to have their own journeys and it doesn't have to look a certain way. You know, everybody's got their own, you know, their, their, their own soul, um, that's planned their journey and that they need to walk through. And you just get to be like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> it's, it's fine. I'm here. Uh, for when they have those moments that are like, what is happening? Cause we all have those and what is real. That's the bigger one. What is real anymore? Uh, and realizing that two things can be real simultaneously, uh, that you can be a human in here in the 3d. And then you can also be like a quantum being that's in all of these different planes. So, um, you know, interesting that the medicine is showing you just how extraordinary our souls are and how uh, multidimensional they are and all of the things that's, taking place. Um, but yeah, we chose mushrooms. I think just because, well, uh, they chose ayahuasca us. Is, yeah, they, they, they chose, chose us, but it's also, again, 
it's one of the easiest things for uh, that we have found to actually uh, get a get your hands on, and they're not so they're 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 profound, but they're not like yeah you 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 should still use ceremony and intention around them but they're not like ayahuasca that you're working it the biggest the biggest neuroplasticity shift ever seen is in ayahuasca ceremonies uh you need shamanic guards energy all sorts of stuff for that mushrooms are less intense uh so more common people that don't haven't had the training or don't really understand the spirit realm the way the shamans do can use them. And it's kind of a stepping stone. There's also like that, that, uh, I don't know if I'll ever work in ayahuasca. Probably not. I mean, as maybe as like a guardian or something to help shamans hold space, but, uh, the, you know, there's certain things that should never be messed with. And I'm a firm believer that you should have a lot of respect and reverence for all of these plant medicines. Um, yeah, mushrooms are, they're lighter. They're, they're more friendly. Uh, still deep work, but they're not. So I feel comfortable, uh, giving them to people. There's a lot of plant medicines and that, and we work in rape too, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there would be much that I would be comfortable in. And maybe that's just cause I haven't had the downloads, but yeah. Plus I like fungi. They're cute. <laughs> You mentioned this idea of neuroplasticity. Is that something mm -hmm. that, that interests you all? Kind of the the the, the science, or maybe the, the emerging science of of, of uh, this work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, you know, before COVID um, happened, I was working in a very much uh, matrix-based job, um, and have really a lot of say. And I had gone back to school because I wanted to go into the medical field. I wanted to get my doctorate's in nurse practice. Um, I wanted to get my DNP, um, focusing on midwife, mid midwifery. I wanted to be a midwife. And, um, I remember like reading everything about like birth trauma because people, I would, I would hear these stories and I had worked with a midwife when I was in Southern California. And I just was like, Oh my God, this system is like a mess. I, I'm going to change the system. Like I want to be a safe space for women. And, um, you know, and in, in the science part has always, it's, it's fascinating. Like the human body. Um, I remember taking like a, a cadaver, a cadaver lab. And like, I was so taken, taken back, but also so fascinated at the same time, like with the brain. Um, you know, we have an uncle who's a neurosurgeon. He's when he, we love talking to him because he's like all about the psychedelics and like the, the movement that's happening. Cause he's like, yeah, no shit. Like this stuff can like change the brain. Like I've known this and like, people are just now getting on, you know, getting on board and we love, you know, I, I would say that like, I'm more research, Megan likes reading it, but Megan's also kind of like, no, thank you. Like, just give me the synopsis. Like you can read the 80 page, you know, John Hopkins about whatever. Um, and I, I think it's also super important for people to know the science behind it, especially in this regard of working in the brain, how the brain works, what is happening in your brain. Um, you know, neuroplasticity is fascinating. And as a, you know, as we age, it gets denser. And when we're working in it, um, a lot of things are stored in it. It's kind of like a hard drive, right? Like you've got to go in and clean it out every once in a while. And so, um, you know, I can, I can nerd out on brain chemistry all day long and we could talk about dendrites and we could talk about, you know, gray matter and 
um, the male brain versus the female brain, you know, you could do all of that. But I think, you know, the baseline is plant medicine is the neuroplasticity. It's working in the DMN. It's understanding like the frontal cortex of the brain, like where self lives, where ego lives. Um, and when people work in plant medicine, just biologically knowing what's going on, because I think so often, especially I see it with people that come with us, come to us that are on a lot of pharmaceuticals, they don't actually even know what's happening in their bodies and the doctors can't even explain it to them. And, you know, it's, it's really important to know what's happening. It's just like food, right? Like does your body, it's a, it's a constant communication. Like does your body even do well with it? I, you know, you could, you couldn't, be eating cheese and cheese in your body don't work well and you don't listen while, you know, you need to know what is happening. And, um, you know, for us, you know, the first week people work with us, we, we send them a full breakdown of what's happening in their brain from small doses to as, you know, if we are working up into like four or 500 milligrams, um, what's happening. Because I think it's very important, Megan, also, you know, when we have this conversation, like, Hey, let's break down the science of it. Most people love it. They're like, oh my gosh, this would have taken me days to research online and to read the articles and to like do my own research. And it takes away the anxiety and takes away the like, oh, okay, I understand what's happening now. And so I can be at ease and almost, we create almost oneness with that individual working with in the plan. Yeah. It's, um, you know, the research is important. It's, but you know, I tend not to trust institutions. <laughs> um, I I like to see what it does within me and what I see in other people because a lot of those studies and things can be easily like manipulated, just like all statistics. Uh, you know, and the science can say one thing and this and that. And I know that people trust science, and I, I understand the value in it. Um, but I find far more interesting, like studying like quantum physics and quantum mechanics, um, because it's, that's actually explaining what's happening. Uh, you know, where science said at one point, like we'll prove basically that there's not a God and it's pretty much proved the opposite when it got into quantum physics and quantum entanglement and all of these things. And you understand the, genetic frequency of something and how it's shifting timelines and energy fields. And when you realize we're just energy and a mushroom is just energy and those energies are interacting, uh, you know, it, it's fine to do a study, but again, I think that Western medicine or people need to just go, you know, ask the shaman should be on the board of this stuff. Um, you know, people like, I mean, Maria Sevilla is not really around anymore, right? She's passed, but, you know, the people that have been working in this stuff and even like Leary said that he learned more, you know, with two hours and a macrodose of mushrooms about the human psychology than he did with 40 years of practice in the field. And, you know, that's kind of my feeling on it. It's like, all right, people, you want to know, just try it. You tell me if you need a scientific a scientist telling you what you're experiencing, because how do you even quantify that? Like you can't. It's like trying to quantify the human soul. Um, so yeah, these studies are finding a lot of things, but it, it, it's it's just kind of funny to me with all the studies coming out. And of course, we have that for people that need the science that are more analytical. But it's 
you know, just think back to how long shamanic medicine has been around. I mean, it puts Western medicine to shame uh, and, you know, what they've been able to do. There's not mental health crises in, you know, the Amazon or things like that. You know, they're so connected with the earth. They're so connected to that oneness, to the energy of plants, to the energy of humans, to the energy of jaguars, whatever you're working in. Um you know, and again, if, if we had these kind of ceremonies where people were using plant medicine for like, you know, that transition into manhood, the vision quests or wh- whatever, think about the, the knowledge that you're gaining, uh, you know, so John Hopkins and stuff can spend millions of dollars on this. But the, 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 the thing that's interesting to me is, is that I don't trust, I mean, I I think I trust what they're finding, but I don't trust any of the the studies coming out or anything after what I've seen over the last few years. Um, You know, so I just challenge people to, you know, feel into their soul and what does it say? Like when you really feel into plant medicine, what does your energy field and your nervous system say, not what you read? Because we're trying to also teach people how to trust themselves and not to always go to outside sources for what they should be doing. Um, you know, and that, that goes back to, you know, kinesiology and stuff like that. You know, you muscle testing and, and you know, we muscle test our animals and things. We have a 14-year-old dog that's going to pass in the next couple months or maybe even weeks um, depending, but, you know, she was on, um, what you call it? Gabapentin. She was on gabapentin. We've got her completely off gabapentin. She's on psilocybin and, um, uh, Chinese herbs for her kidneys. And, you know, she's better than she was when she was taking gabapentin. She's sleeping through the night. She's not panting. You know, she's in a lot of pain. She's got bone cancer and, you know, her hips are, the joints in her hips are wearing out, but, it's just crazy. You know, you'll read online that dogs shouldn't take psilocybin. They're going to die. And we muscle tested her. Uh, and she was like practically eating the mushrooms out of our hands. It's like, you know, we think that animals and things are stupid. They're not stupid. And our bodies know. And we need to come back to that knowledge. Um, there's a wisdom in your body. You know, matter cannot be created or destroyed. Meaning you have been around since the beginning of time. Your energy, like... The cells in your body, what you're made up of, have a wisdom and a knowledge in themselves. And uh, so, you know, the science is great, but, you know, coming back to we teach people how to be in their nervous systems, to feel into their heart, to understand what muscle testing is, to understand, you know, it's even with dating, like masculine and feminine women. Well, I don't know if I like him or not. Well, what does your nervous system say? How does your body respond to him? Is it safe? Is it not safe? Your body knows. Um, you know, and so many women, when they start to drop into that, they're like, oh yeah, I feel, I feel really uncomfortable around him or really shaky. I'm like, then he's not grounded. You know, you get around certain, and we do this all the time on podcasts. It's like, there's, there's certain podcasts I can only be on for like 30 minutes because, you know, and a lot of them are men, their energy field is like this. And I'm like, whoa, like (laughs) breathe. Um, or, you know, they're on I don't loads of caffeine or whatever, you know, you can start to be able to feel that in people's bodies, but it's, um, it's really coming back to that ancient wisdom and that shamanic medicine and things like that. And I'd really love to see that, um, be more of an accepted part of 
being human and not just, again, because that's that seeking of an outside source separate from self. But we, we've also convinced a lot of people with science, and I love to learn about neuroplasticity. I like to know what it does. I am very analytical. Um, but again, my own experience far outweighs anything that any of those studies could ever teach me. But it, it, it is wild to see the studies come out um, of, you know, the real-time neuroplasticity shifts and the DMN and all. Like, it, it's it's cool that the science is backing it up, but it's kind of like that also, like, you know, it kind of, like, you can just take these and know that they're doing something spectacular. Well, um, in Western medicine, you know, a lot of these studies started off of let's prove that they don't work. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, they're working. Uh, okay. So now we have to shift the whole idea, you know, um, one particular study John Hopkins recently did on addicts, they didn't think that they were going to get the results. There was no, I mean, there was science, there were doctors coming out saying there's no way after two doses of psilocybin, that these people are going to have a God experience and they're going to stay sober. And 87% of them did. And they were like, Oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's also kind of fun to watch the science because, you know, science is about hypothesis. It's about proving something wrong. It's about, you know, okay, I have a thought. Now I have to prove that that, or the, you know, a, idea, right. I have to prove it wrong and do it again and do it again. But now we're seeing that shift of it's working. So now science has to shift with it's working. And, um, you know, like Meg said, now it's, now it's back into the body. It's teaching people like, what does your body say? Because now we've got science kind of spinning and now humans have to drop back in and say, okay, this outside source may or may not have been right at one point or may have lied or whatever. And now I have to be, I have to, I have to trust myself. Amazing. Um, speaking about time, I think we're coming up on almost three hours now. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, this is amazing. Are there any um, topics that we didn't touch on that you'd like to, to go into? I don't think so. I think we touched on everything. It was like a full, full conversation of everything that everyone ever wants to have on have us on topic. We normally get an hour and then it's like, we got to go and we're like mid, you know, mid topic. So it, it was fun to be able to like deep dive into a lot of different avenues. Yeah. Yeah. No. If, um, if people are interested in learning more about you or more about your work, contacting you, are there, there better ways that they can do that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a website. It's www.zenchronicity222.com. Um, we're currently offering a one-on-one -on -one group, uh, excuse me, one-on-one -on -one coaching program. Um, it is by application. So you can go on the website, you barely scroll down. It's on the first page. Um, people can apply to be with us, to work with us. We don't take everyone. Um, not everyone is in alignment. It's nothing personal, but at the very end, at the bottom, if you, um, put in um, Universe with NS podcast, we offer $2,000 discount for our one-on-one -on -one coaching um, for podcast listeners. 
We also have a group program that will be launching February 13th. It's the basic way to get your feet wet in psychedelics, um, working our program. It's the same program we use in the one-on-one. It's just um, a community base. We don't dive as deep. We give, it's more, more um, for those that are kind of questioning it, that just want to see what and how it feels. And, um, so that's our website. We have links to our podcast. We have, um, some more information like about Megan and I on there. If you guys, you know, want to know more, we also have Instagram. We have Zenchronicity underscore sisters. That is, um, everything from business to personal. We put our Dalmatian on there, our old lady dog. We talk about, um, we talk about things outside of the business. It's, um, it's just kind of censored free. And then we have Zenchronicity 222, which is just business. We only post about like containers and like masculine and feminine stuff. People that are more just like, they just want to know the business. They are, it's more our analytical page, our masculine page versus our feminine page. Um, and then of course, like if anybody is, you know, our DMs are open for anybody that is looking or seeking. Um, of course, if you already listen to this podcast, I'm sure you have con- you know, many, many people on here that have come on and spoken about different plant medicines and stuff like that. And of course you're down in Peru, so you can probably mm-hmm. align people if they need them. But we also, um, we can, we're open resource. If you're looking for something, we definitely can help you, um, get those resources if need be, or at least direct you. Um, we normally just guide you in the direction, um, to obtain them. Wonderful. Well, thank you all so much for, for sharing both of you and just sharing your, your journey and your, your experience along this way. And, and, and a lot of really, I think, important topics, you know, especially these ideas of psychology and psychedelics and, and where it's coming from, where it's moving towards. And, and I think these really important topics of, um, of duality, especially these ideas of masculine and feminine, it's something that, that I've personally seen as is super important. Um, even the work I do, I, I, I chose to work with a woman, um, because we're different and those differences are real and there's different spaces that are created and just seeing that the benefit in the people we work with, having a man and a woman be able to work with them and, and the spaces that are held and the energies that are created. And, um, it's a really important thing. And I think, uh, as we were talking about something we we've really gotten away in this time. And, and I think it's, it's really important to, to talk about it and, and these traditional ideas and, and, and just so many of the things we, we address. So, so thank you very much. And, and I, I really wish you all the best in, in your journeys and your work, and I hope you continue to grow and, and to thrive. And uh, so, yeah, thank you again so much for coming on and sharing. Thank you. And um, if you're open to it, we always um, love bringing hosts on to our podcast or guests onto our, as we, we would host um, this season, we're doing stories. So people's individual healing, um, stories of plant medicine, anything around that. If you would like to be on our season, I would love to invite you. uh, We would like to invite you to be a guest um, to share with our audience because um, we're really trying to remove the stigma around them as well. And by sharing story is um, one way to do that. And I love all of the connection you have to like you know, the indigenous people in Peru and all of this, those are amazing to hear. I know I was like, yeah, I know. I was like, tell me more. I want to hear, hear, you know, those mythologies and things like you have 
really interesting, like unique um, stories and um, interactions that I haven't heard anybody else that we've talked to. Right. So that'd be really fun to have you on because people need to hear those things. They need to hear um, those connections and just how intelligent those people are. They have no access to all the stuff that we do. So the wisdom, love that. Love, love, love that. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Oh, all right, everyone. That's it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Megan and Nicole. Uh, I very much enjoyed it. It was a pleasure for me to sit down with them. I think they shared some really uh, important points and, and often, I think, points that are very much overlooked um, in, in a lot of this work, especially these ideas of the, the masculine and feminine energies and, and what those represent and how they can be embodied. Uh, so it was, a, it was really a pleasure for me to sit down and talk with them. And again, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, my next guest, uh, I believe, is going to be my friend Luke. Uh, he's a really interesting guy. I do jujitsu with him. Uh, he's very big and it's very difficult, uh, but he's teaching me a lot. And um, he's actually a, a veteran and he also lives here in the Sacred Valley of Peru. Um, and he does some really interesting work with brain mapping uh, and also working with different plant medicines and seeing kind of the, the pre, during, and post effects of how that's actually changing our brain. So I think that should be a really interesting conversation. Um, I have a woman who uh, is really involved in astrology coming up. Uh, also, I just did a interview with Chris Killam, who's also known as the Medicine Hunter, and uh, hopefully his wife Zoe, uh, who's really doing some interesting work, will be coming on soon. So uh, there should be some really good guests coming up. As always, if you are able to support this podcast, that's a really big help to me. Uh, Patreon is a really good way. It's a subscription service for as little as a dollar a month. You can sign up different tiers you can sign up for. Those tiers give you different things back, things like early access to shows, bonus material, Q&As. To all the people who have done that, to all the patrons, as always, thank you very much for your support. And if you are able to do that, thank you in advance. Uh, It's really something I like, this idea of reciprocity. So if you feel like you're gaining something from this podcast, uh, it's always appreciated um, as a way to give back. Um, if you're not able to do that, uh, there's also the ability to, uh, also donating via PayPal is an option if for whatever reason Patreon isn't good for you. Um, but if you're not able to give in that way, um, some of the little things make a really big difference. So if you're viewing this, the video version, whether on YouTube, um, Rumble, Odyssey, uh, subscribing to the channel, turning on the notification bell in YouTube, liking the video, leaving any questions or comments in the comment section. Those things all all really help with the algorithms. Um, And then if you're listening to this on the audio versions, uh, still Apple Podcasts and Spotify are the big ones. So subscribing to the show and with Apple Podcasts leading a starred rating and a short review is a really big help with the algorithms. Uh, So I think that's it. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you all for the support, and I will see you all on the next one. Thank mm-hmm. you.